0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Iron List. Uh, this is a podcast we do lists. My name is William <laughs> DeBiani.
1: <laughs> I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bebs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. Uh, they call me. They like cute nicknames, like yeah. Fred Avery was Tex. Yeah. Isidore Freeling was Frizz Freeling. Yeah. You're uh, Wiz Seibold. Yeah, Charles M. Schultz eventually became... Or Charles Charles M. Jones, excuse me. Charles M. Schultz did peanuts. Yeah. Charles M. Jones became Chuck Jones. Yeah. Uh, what, what sort of termite terrorist name would I have? Witty Seibold. Witty? No, I'd, I'd, I'd just be I'd just be wit, I think.
0: Yeah. There you go. What wit, about me? Witt wit, Seibold. I guess Bibbs. Anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're already Bibbs. You have a nickname. Uh, that's Witty Seibold. I'm William Bibbiani. And this is The Iron List. And here at The Iron List, uh, every month... This episode's a couple of days late, but every month, uh, we do a top 10 list as selected by our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, uh, and uh, this month, or rather for the month of March, uh, the the topic they selected, it's a fun one, was the best Looney Tunes cartoons. Yeah. Now these are the film. If you're unfamiliar with uh, sort of the the moniker, uh, these are the shorts that were animated uh, by animators over at Warner Brothers, uh, featuring n- not limited to, but generally speaking, <coughs> featuring such characters as Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig, Wile E. Coyote. They-, uh, they did they did other characters <coughs> too. Some was repeated. Some were one offs. Um, mm-hmm. at my list has a little bit of everything. Um, but yeah, we're talking about the best of some of the best cartoons ever made. I know I myself grew up watching Looney Tunes. Not just like, not the new stuff. Mm. They always had like some kind of newish versions of Looney Tunes throughout the years. Your Tiny Toon Adventures for example, or uh, uh, they had had a really good show on, um, I think it was the Cartoon Network uh, or, or one of those where it was the Looney Tunes with a slightly different animation style and they were all just kind of living in apartments and having like sitcom type uh, struggles. Oh, where
1: they revived the characters. Yeah. It. yeah. Uh,
0: that was actually, I forget what that <clears throat> show, what was that show? The one <clears throat> where they actually made Lola Bunny like a really interesting I think it was character.
1: called The Looney Tunes Show. Yeah, that's actually a really <clears throat> good show but that's
0: not what I'm including. I'm only including <clears throat> the classic looney tunes yeah the, short uh, format the, the theatrically
1: released uh short films that yeah. showed up in theaters from the early 30s to uh, i mean the studio continued on for many many years but let's say the mid 50s that's kind of when, when give or they, take when, so, when they got like the classic uh, era
0: kind of shut its doors i might have one or two after that but mm. mostly that's the classic era um yeah, like yeah. Uh,
1: like the ducks or cyst yeah stuff that was coming out in the 80s there's a whole series of short films when uh uh, Bugs or uh, Daffy Duck teamed up with Speedy Gonzalez. Which oh, I remember no, that. Nobody yeah. watch refers to anymore because they're all pretty terrible. They're all
0: pretty bad. There's a, mm. then there have been plenty of really bad Looney Tunes, but there have been so many well, excellent. We, and Looney by Tunes. the way, when,
1: when we say Looney Tunes, we're also referring to the Merry Melodies uh, moniker, uh, which preceded which, Looney Tunes, which preceded Looney Tunes, and both of which were ripping off the Disney title, Silly Symphonies. Yeah, uh, yeah, Merry Melodies, and then Looney Tunes, uh, but all of those. Uh, the Merry Melodies and the Looney Tunes all fell under the banner of the films produced by a very specific group of animators in this little tiny animation studio on the Warner Brothers lot. That's what I was referring to when I said Termite Terrace, because that was yeah. the nickname of the animation studio.
0: Yeah, and these are, these are again, these are names that, Winnie already mentioned a lot of them, mm. but uh, these are names in animation that if you follow animation, you should probably know who uh, Bob Clampett is. Yeah, you should probably know who Frizz Freeling is. You should probably know who Chuck Jones is. Yeah. Uh, these uh, are uh, very a little, famous. A shout out to
1: Robert McKimson, who I think gets the yeah. Of I have the Robert McKimson
0: short in mind, so yeah. that's uh, I'm really excited about that.
1: Robert McKimson uh, was the director behind. He was the maybe not the creator, but the the owner of Foghorn Leghorn. All yeah. the Foghorn Leghorn cartoons were Robert McKimson. If the uh, the characters had really interestingly animated mouths, you know that was Robert McKimson. That was mm. sort of like his his expertise. Yeah. Uh, like Chuck Jones, for instance, had really good eyes. He could do like a good deadpan stare from from his mm. characters. Uh, Bob Clampett was. Uh Hit kind of like the the ugliest characters. They all got like really yeah. kind of di- like distended and really wild yeah. movements. They, and they a lot were, of wrinkles. Uh, they weren't
0: designed for maximum cuteness. They were designed mm. for maximum expressiveness. Yeah, yeah which that, sometimes that was, made them look really warped and strange. Yeah, that
1: that was that was Bob Clampett. Uh, Tex Avery he was more of like the gag guy, and I think that Tex Avery's yeah. best work he did for MGM, all of the droopy cartoons and oh, like the, 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 and, the
0: are and the horny
1: wolf cartoons that you saw like yeah. in, in movies like the mask. Uh, those were all done for MGM. So those are kind of out of our wheelhouse for the list we're talking about today.
0: Yeah. Uh, the, uh, again, no, here's what we usually do. Uh, when we do these iron lists, hmm. uh, we usually go about our separate ways and we just pick whatever top 10 we individually like, hmm. uh, that we decide our own criteria other than the general gist of the topic. We may not always agree on the criteria. Uh, we did it a little differently this time. Uh, first, uh, we decided... Uh, uh, well, I guess more important than anything else. We decided to omit some things. Because there are certain Looney Tunes that have been canonized. Yeah. Now, some might argue that the list goes on longer than we have it. But we decided that the three most obvious and typically most celebrated Looney Tunes were just—they just take up space.
1: Yeah, it's like I'm trying to come up with a list of the top ten movies about citizens named Kane.
0: Yeah, like we're you're, gonna leave
1: Citizen Kane off of the top of that list because yeah. you know that
0: one. You should. You, you, yeah, uh, it's it's dedicated a lot of space to it. It's like and, maybe and these, maybe uh, well deserved, but you don't really need it. So uh, the, there's
1: three films all directed by Chuck Jones yeah. uh, that are. Yeah, they're sort of like the holy trinity of yeah. Looney Tunes uh, uh, so, uh, shorts.
0: So real, real fast, we accept that these films are if not necessarily our picks for, a perfectly respectable pick for the three-way tie for the number one Looney Tune of all Uh time. First up, there's What's Opera Doc, Uh uh, which is a uh, uh, Wagner-esque Bugs Bunny, Elmer Fudd cartoon with incredibly striking animation Uh uh, and uh, absolutely elaborate uh, opera storytelling. Absolutely wonderful. Iconic for a reason. Uh, There's also One Froggy Evening, uh, which was the only appearance before the WB came along Ugh. Of a character named Michigan J. Frog
1: Which they, they named after the fact It was just Frog in the script
0: Yeah, uh, but it was a story of a guy who finds a frog uh, Told with no dialogue, by the way No dialogue in this thing He finds a frog And when when he finds it's The frog's in a box He opens the box There's the frog The frog gets up, puts on a top hat, grabs a cane and starts dancing that Hello sings, my baby
1: Hello my honey Not singing old Like uh, old vaudeville songs Yeah uh, hello, hello my baby is Was a pre-existing song
0: Yeah uh, He starts seeing dollar signs And he decides He's gonna like Use this frog To get rich quick But whenever he shows Anyone else the frog The frog is just a frog mm-hmm. And then as soon as Someone leaves the room The frog starts dancing again And it drives the guy Slowly it, it, mad
1: Eventually he's like Committed to an asylum And is yeah. completely destitute
0: Yeah It's a very very funny it, it Very, very with, strange uh, joke
1: It ends with this You know Having fallen on hard times He's just wearing rags at this point, he sees a, a building under construction. Just slips the frog in a box into the the building uh, foundation. Foundation. Uh, at the beginning of the cartoon, when he found the 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 frog, it had like a scroll inside saying, "This box was buried here 100 years ago." So this yeah. frog is clearly immortal. Yeah. So he buries it. It fast forward to like the 26th century. Yeah. Some space guy in a, a space helmet is. Evaporating, evaporating the bricks. building yeah. finds the box opens it sees the frog singing and dancing it's still alive and hearty and he's gonna do go the and same thing again he sees the again. dollar signs and he sneaks off with it the cycle continues yeah and then lastly it, it's the citizen cane of looney tunes that's, arguably, that's kind yes. of like the one that's listed at the top i, I would often.
0: i would argue that the actual <sighs> best and this mm. is when we talked about we talked about the best films to start with the letter d mm. uh is uh, a daffy duck cartoon called duck Amuck. Uh, this was the, the the animated short that taught me the concept of existentialism. <laughs> uh, it is the one where uh, Daffy Duck starts a fight with the animator.
1: Yeah, he, he uh, it starts with Daffy Duck uh, as like a, a cavalier. He's got a fencing foil and a big hat. And he's like, mm-hmm. Avasti, a and you'll uh, sample my blade. But he fights right off the scenery of the page. Yeah. And then turns to the animator and says, could I have some scenery? And they change the scenery, and Daffy Duck a- being a professional... Mm-hmm adapts to the background. So, so now it's he's like, a farmer. He's a farmer. So he puts on a farmer's outfit and he starts saying, Daffy Duck had a farm. Then he walks past an igloo. Okay, can we... And he tries... Can we make ski- up our minds? Yeah, he tries skiing and then he skis right onto a tropical yeah. island. It's like, yeah, let's make up our minds here. Yeah, it's basically Daffy Duck arguing
0: with God and God is yeah. the animator and God hates Daffy. <laughs> and uh, there's something really potent and powerful about that. And the ending, of course, is a classic twist. Um, it's one of the most unbelievably clever... And uh, really ingenious cartoons ever made in any media well, Just medium outwardly
1: thing. hilarious and,
0: and just genuinely really, really funny uh, It's my pick for number one Would Yours as well, or do you think it would w-
1: One of those three, One Frog Evening, Duckamuck or What's Up yeah. Doc Would have been my number one yeah. uh, Just because those are really the best ones Yeah, we're not
0: going to spend too much time talking about those Because they're just really well-known cartoons And although some of my cartoons are pretty well-known Not mm. all of them are uh, and I'm eager to talk to you about all of them. So uh, other than that,, uh, the only thing we want to remind you is that here at the Iron List, we don't uh, rank our movies. Our number nine pick isn't arguably better than our number ten. What we're saying is that they're all great. Hmm. They all deserve to be seen. Please see all of them. The only difference is that our number one pick is the film that we would pick as the best. Oh. if you know, you you if if we were put to the test, like what quick? What's the best? Hmm. This would be our number one. But two through ten, All a tie for number two. They're all great. We want you to see them all. Don't put too much stock in the order. That's all we're saying. Uh, On that note, would you like to go first?
1: Sure. Awesome. Um, I would like to start with a cartoon that's just sort of one of my personal favorites. It's not usually on lists of the best Looney Tunes of all times, but uh, this one I saw many times because we had a 35 millimeter reel of it before Rocky Horror. Oh, wow. And there were callbacks for the cartoon short.
0: Okay. Uh, It's
1: called Mouse Wreckers. Uh, which is a cartoon is starring Hubie and Bertie, two uh, mice with Brooklyn accents to try to oh. break into a house. Yeah, I remember but they, Hubie and Bertie. they yeah. look in the window and they see that the cat that lives inside the house is like a championship mouser. Mm. So they devise a really elaborate plan to drive the cat insane.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> like they uh, they sneak down the, uh, the chimney. They're able to bring things down the chimney. Like, uh, they sneak down the chimney, they hit the cat with a log, and then uh, one of the mice pulls the other one up on a a fishing line really, really quickly. So the cat looks around, it's just been hit by a log, and it doesn't understand what happened. Mm -hmm. It starts chugging nerve tonic after a few of of these sorts of events. Oh, God. They end up, like, putting dynamite in its bed. It blows up, and it doesn't understand what's going on. The final piece de resistance is they put earmuffs on the cat, They sneak in and they nail all the furniture to the ceiling. (laughs) That's so cruel. And the cat wakes up and thinks it's on the ceiling and it like leaps up to the ceiling and is climbing around on its claws on the ceiling that looks like the floor. They turn the camera upside down so it's this really bizarre visual thing. And of course the cat just goes nuts and the, the mice can have the house. Nice. The amount of sheer cruelty in this cartoon is off the wall. Now... There is a universal law when it comes to abuse in these Looney Tunes cartoons. If you abuse Bugs Bunny, but once, he now has complete moral license to do whatever the hell he wants to you for the next seven minutes. Yeah. Um, There's a a Bugs Bunny cartoon, for instance, where he's uh, accosted by an opera singer. And Bugs Bunny spends the rest of the cartoon just completely abusing the opera singer, where the punishment has far outstripped the crime. Right. But we don't care because we like seeing Bugs Bunny abuse people. Yeah. Watching Huey and Birdie torture this poor cat is hilarious because of how how innocent the cat is. The cat has done nothing in the cartoon to them. Yeah, we know that the cat is a championship mouser, but it's not a cruel-looking cat. It's not a monster cat. It's just sort of a, an ordinary-looking, kind of peaceful, dippy-looking yellow cat.
0: Yeah,
1: uh, the cat is named Clyde. Uh,
0: Claude.
1: Claude, excuse me, Claude. Yeah, Claude. The cat. Yeah,
0: Claude. Claude made a lot of appearances uh, in various Looney Tunes over the years. He's not one of the more famous characters, uh, but he's one of the ones you recognize if you sure watch a lot of Looney Tunes. Yeah, um, yeah people don't talk a lot about those goddamn mice.
1: Yeah, Hubie and Birdie. Hubie and Birdie. They, they were they were evil. They were just evil <laughs> mice. They horrible mice. There, there's another one. Uh, I think it's called the. Uh, there's one uh, with. Porky Pig and Sylvester and they mm. check into a haunted house. Oh, it turns out it's yeah. just Hubie and Bertie kind of torturing them. Yeah. They pretend to they like pretend to execute uh Porky in front of Sylvester. It's pretty fucked.
0: There's a streak of genuine cruelty mm. in a lot of Looney Tunes where mm. um Everyone is out to get everyone else. It's like this sort of doggy uh, dog world, well, and it doesn't really matter. Here,
1: here's why I admire Mouse Records. I actually admire it because of its like weird kind of nihilistic, cruel streak. Yeah, because you look at Sylvester cartoons and Tweety cartoons; those they're abusing each other all the time. But you understand the dynamic. Cat One is a cat that wants bird. to eat yeah. a mouse or yeah. eat a bird in that case, and the bird mm-hmm. is defending itself. Uh, same with the Roadrunner and the Coyote. The Roadrunner is. Prey for the, the coyote. Yeah, there's the, a predator the, prey co- The
0: coyote is doing what coyotes do. You can't yeah. you you might sympathize with the roadrunner and hope the roadrunner gets away, but mm-hmm. you also feel bad for the coyote because it's just trying to eat. Yeah. Maybe what maybe. else is it supposed to eat? By the way, is there no other form of life in that desert? Nope. None? <laughs> None.
1: No, there's, nothing there's else just, is alive. Just acme delivery people. Oh That's the God. only other form Why of life. Why does he just
0: eat the acme delivery people? <laughs> <just send>
1: more. <laughs> Wouldn't that be the easiest thing? You would think
0: would that would be... be a great that would be a great short actually yeah. <laughs> it's actually like Wild well, well, Goody versus that, the Acme that, just that's
1: the joke at the end it's like the, the Acme delivery guy just grabs him and the last shot is him like rubbing his tummy <laughs> yeah. the well, Roadrunner comes up he hands him a drumstick yeah, just oh, a little oh, kind of grim yeah that, that's quite
0: grim I think <laughs> maybe a bit more so than we needed yeah but, uh, I, that'd be funny um anyway, that's anyway, I I'm I'm not as familiar with that one, so I don't have a lot to contribute oh, yeah, with that one, but that is that is I, I do remember it, it is funny.
1: There's a lot on my list where um I actually tried to get a good uh cross section of directors, because yeah. the ones we grew up with weren't uh the whole of Looney Tunes. A lot True. of the early black and white cartoons weren't rerun on Saturday mornings, which is when you and I people your our age kind of consumed these cartoons. Yeah. Uh, and there were a lot of cartoons like a little bit later on or by other directors uh, that didn't make their way into rotation. There's just sort of a solid core. And most of the ones that they selected for that mm-hmm. rotation were directed by Chuck Jones.
0: A lot of them, yeah. And
1: I think Chuck, uh, Chuck Jones is a brilliant director. I think he's one of the great comedic directors of all time, really. Mm-hmm.
0: But he's just one of he, many.
1: He codified a lot of language of slapstick that we still use today. But I wanted to... Skew away from a lot of my favorites Just because mm. I wanted to include other things By other directors So there's, we're going to see Chuck Jones again But I'm going to try to give you some other people as well
0: Awesome Well my number 10 pick And it's actually quite appropriate Because um, it's actually a tie Because mm. I think one of them is a better story But one of them is the better comedy But they're interrelated uh-huh. uh, And one of them features Claude oh, Okay uh, this, this is t- two of my favorite characters In Looney Tunes They only did a handful of them mm. But they're always great we're Mark Antony and Pussyfoot.
1: Oh, Mark Antony! Mark Antony, d- did you choose feed the kitty?
0: Uh, I f- chose feed the kitty, and which is the original Mark Antony and Pussyfoot right. cartoon, and also Cat Feud, which I think is the funniest.
1: Okay, uh, uh, feed the kitty is on my list. Feed, oh, good! <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm glad to hear it. Uh, so, Mark Antony and Pussyfoot. If you're if you don't recognize the name, Mark Antony is this very front heavy kind of bulldog kind of uh, mm-hmm. uh, dog. Gigantic, angry, uh, and uh, Pussyfoot is a little kitten. It's a little baby, little black and white kitten. Yeah, with and, blue eyes. And, and they don't so talk. Do, no, no, they don't they're, talk. They're animals. No, no, they're, they're they're well, they're all animals, but they're not anthropomorphic. Other than they like you know can like they're, think and like use their hands. But um, the gag is at the beginning of every Mark Anthony Pussyfoot uh, is that Pussyfoot is the tiniest little, dirtiest little kitten. It's super cute, super wee. Totally innocent. Mark Anthony sees the kitten and he's a guard dog usually, or an attack dog. Mm. Uh, He's often found like protecting construction sites and such. Uh, And he sees an interloper. Oh no, this kitten is in my territory. I'm supposed to bark at it. And he barks at it really, really angrily. And then uh, Pussyfoot just sort of like nuzzles him a little bit. Maybe he gives him a kiss. Mm. And then Mark Anthony is so unbelievably charmed that he falls deeply in love with Pussyfoot as like a pet. And he puts Pussyfoot up on his back and Pussyfoot does that cat thing where he sort of paws and claws. A little little
1: muffing action. And Mark uh, Antony is
0: like, ow, ooh, ah, ee! And then Pussyfoot just sort of settles and then falls asleep on his back and they're the cutest thing ever. Uh, There are two basic types of Mark Antony and Pussyfoot cartoons and this is why I'm picking a tie. Uh, The first one is from Feed the Kitty, which is their first appearance in 1952. Uh, This is a Chuck Jones cartoon. uh, Where Mark Antony is told by his owner, who is uh, personified as, as a human with like mm-hmm. just basically a pair of legs. We never see her face. Boy, yeah. did the animators like drawing those legs, by the way. I think there's some very lonely animators in the Termite Terrace <laughs> at, that, at that juncture. Um, uh, she's told that Mark Anthony isn't allowed to bring anything into the house, and if she does, she'll destroy it. So he's trying to hide this kitten. So a lot of it's just him trying to hide this kitten, trying to protect this kitten. She says, Mark Anthony, what is that? And he like rolls Pussyfoot up into a ball and like uses it as like a powder puff <laughs> and just like oh i'm just putting on my makeup and she's like You're such a weird dog and then finally uh pussyfoot like runs away and he can't he loses track of pussyfoot and in feed the kitty he uh pussyfoot ends up inside a bowl of cookie ma- uh, cookie batter uh-huh. and mark anthony doesn't see pussyfoot crawl out of it so the climax of the thing is he's watching the mom Mix it ne- into a knead mixer Knead the dough And put the it in dough, the oven, yeah. Carve out cookies Put it into the oven And every single time Mark Anthony is like Having this huge heart attack And when he finally Just can't take it anymore She kicks him out And it's just him crying Thinking that his Like his beloved kid- pet kitten Is dead Is yeah. horribly dead And then she tries to make him Feel better at the like, end When the cookies are done By handing him a little cookie In the shape, in of, the the shape foot, of a kitten Which <laughs> is just him dying inside But it turns out Pussyfoot is fine And yeah. it's all very sweet um, The other one Is Cat Feud which is the other type of Pussyfoot cartoon, where Mark Anthony has to actively protect Pussyfoot from an interloper, and in oh. this, but the weird thing about Cat Feud and the one reason why it's not quite as good as Feed the Kitty in terms of story, if I was, if this part made more sense, this would be my number one pick. Uh, is that he's not protecting Pussyfoot from like another dog, you know, the natural enemy of a cat in these cartoons. He's protecting him from Claude Cat. <laughs> what does Claude have against Pussyfoot? I don't really understand what we're after here. So basically it's uh Mark Antony falling in love with Pussyfoot. They're at a construction site, there's a bunch of really brilliant gags about like girders falling and Pussyfoot accidentally like walking onto a girder as it falls, and like will Mark Antony be able to catch him? And it's all just it reminds me very much of uh, the Animaniacs cartoon Buttons and Mindy.
1: Yeah, which R- which was clearly inspired by uh so. Mark Mant- Antony cartoons. Yeah. Uh, not, not nearly as funny, but... No, well, uh,
0: because Buttons and Mindy, if you recall, no. Buttons and Mindy in Animaniacs, Mindy was a little girl, a toddler, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Buttons was her beloved dog, and at the beginning of every episode, Mindy would get out of wherever her mother put her, a playpen, whatever, and get into trouble, and Buttons would lose his mind trying to protect Mindy. Uh, Mindy is completely oblivious, Buttons suffers horribly, and usually gets punished at the end for not taking good enough care of Mindy, and the only solace he has is that Mindy loves him. Uh... It's not enough solace, if you ask me. I think Buttons is just a tragic figure. Uh, whereas I think uh, Mark Anthony and Pussyfoot have a better, like, sort of relationship. Yeah. They actually really do love each other, like, very, very tenderly. Um, anyway, Cat Feud has the better jokes. Cat Feud has the better, like, character animation, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. But Feed the Kitty is the better story, so I'm putting them together as a tie. Okay. But I love Mark Anthony and Pussyfoot. They're two of my favorite characters. Mm. Uh, so you already, so you had Feed the Kitty, so why don't I just move oh, yeah. on to the next one? Um so
1: yeah, my I, next pick I, I also love Feed the Kitty. Uh yeah. I, I think the uh there's a lot to be said for uh I, I think of the the animators, um Bob Clampett and Chuck Jones were the best actors in Mm. that they were able to sort of act smaller moments really well. Chuck Jones was really good at, like, subtle stuff, like little facial expressions, whereas uh, Bob Clampett was much more, like, demonstrative, a lot more wild, like, outward movements that Mm. display a a greater range of emotions. Um, Some of the acting in Feed the Kitty is great. The suffering on Mark Antony's face when he sees the the cat getting baked is... Pretty sublime. They, they, they
0: literally just stole this routine for the bit in Monsters Incorporated where it looks like Boo has fallen into some kind of weird conveyor belt. Oh, it's
1: the thing that's like eating up the the, the wooden doors. It's like yeah. a wood chipper or something. Yeah, yeah, and
0: you just see Sully just like every time there's a new horrible thing that happens to the door, he mm-hmm. like, his face falls and he goes, ah! <laughs> it's totally just, that. I think even the commentary track, they, they cite it by name. They, mm-hmm. they know exactly what they're doing. Uh, my next pick is a similar story, uh, but it has... The gag, you know, like we all have like that one gag that we just remember over and over again that always makes us laugh. Uh-huh. Maybe it's the, but this one's the delivery more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me let me ask you, maybe if you know what what wonderful what, what it's yeah. from. Uh, not happy birthday.
1: Oh, not the happy birthday. Not happy uh, birthday.
0: Uh, this is from a cartoon from Robert Mckimson called uh, "It's Hummer Time."
1: I uh, this one filled with filled me with anxiety as a child <laughs> <Right>? actually. <laughs> It's about a a bully cat uh, who forces a uh, like his victim to choose his punishment. Oh no, it's a dog. Or it's a dog. It's a dog. So what? So what happens is? Well,
0: there's a couple of versions of this one, but um, uh, it's Hummer Time is about a cat. It's not a it's not a cat recur- recurring. You might as well assume it's Claude, but it looks mm. a bit more like Sylvester. Um, and uh, he's hunting a hummingbird, and it's one of those like you know like playful looney tunes marks who's actually like not gonna let you get the drop on and he's gonna get you into more trouble than it's worth to actually hunt the animal he's trying to hunt this hummingbird and every time he does he ends up inconveniencing or slapping in the face or somehow uh invoking the wrath of a bulldog who's just going about his day the bulldog looks a lot like mark anthony but it's not like mark anthony why this couldn't have been Claude and mark anthony i have no idea And every single time he invokes the wrath of the Bulldog, the Bulldog has... He doesn't just, like, hit him or spank him or shove dynamite down his pants. He has a weirdly... A wheel of
1: punishment. it's,
0: it's, It's like the Spanish Inquisition. Like, it's just this incredible, horrifying bit of punishment. Now, in some cartoons, he has, like, a wheel of punishment. In It's Hummer Time, this is the... I believe this is the original one, which had the happy birthday. Um he just has a gimmick. Oh. So it's like it's like not the drain pipe mm-hmm. and it's like him pulling the cat through a drain pipe by the tail. Mm. Not the fence. It's like him like <laughs> pushing the cat through a <laughs> hole in the fence. And of course there's not happy birthday, which is basically a birthday cake full of dynamite. And just to hear this and because the cat is the joke is amazing because we know that the punishment is coming. Uh-huh. And instead of just cutting to it, it's like the dog's like, "Well, here we go, and the dog is just like, and I just have to discipline this cat. And the cat is absolutely horrified, anything but happy birthday! And then we cut to the dog has clearly spent quite a few minutes setting up this elaborate punishment, and the cat is just sort of sitting there waiting for it to happen, and then it does, and it's horrible. And the reason, and It's Hummer Time ends, however, with um, a nice bit of comeuppance where the hummingbird... Basically, tricks them both into enduring every single one of the punishments that the dog has meted out. So the Mm -hmm. dog gets the punishment too. Which is a nice little uh, uh, poetic justice, okay? Because often the do- often the uh, the torturers get off scot free yeah, in these well, things. Th- that's
1: and... that was Mouse Wreckers. Yeah, they, they they torture a cat until it goes insane and they win.
0: Yeah, now that's the end of the story. It, it's nice. It's nice that every once in one every <clears throat> once in a while one of these has kind of a moral compass. Like I'm not mm. sure why the cat needed to go through that again, but the dog at least gets a, some of its own medicine. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's incredibly funny and yeah, the combination of abject horror and daily routine mm. is just weirdly funny it's a weird joke but it absolutely works yeah alright what's your next pick
1: uh I'm gonna go back a little bit okay Um, the Looney Tunes are for many people especially people our age uh an educational experience Mm. there are a lot of old sort of vaudeville standards that I wouldn't have known if they weren't regularly appearing in uh, in Mm. Looney Tunes um uh, you must have been a beautiful baby yeah you know, like uh that's a song i, I learned from looney tunes how um, dry i am i wonder everybody's... if i know where
0: you're going with this pardon i wonder if i know where you're going with this
1: well maybe so uh just a, a lot of uh popular culture of the 1930s and 40s were things that i only gleaned from watching uh looney tunes yeah i wasn't watching movies from the 30s and 40s when i was a kid necessarily i was mm-hmm. watching stuff like wizard of oz but yeah. I, it wasn't like a regular part of my media diet but I did get to know uh, sort of the look and feel of a lot of old Hollywood stars through oh. uh, through uh, these old cartoons. So I'm going to choose Hollywood Steps Out okay. as uh, one of the best Looney Tunes. Uh, Hollywood Steps Out I is a, a Tex cartoon, which is about a uh, nightclub full of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time when the, yeah. the short was made. A lot of caricatures. Yeah, and it's, it's all caricatures and they're all... Uh, Animated in kind of a weird way, like clearly they knew how to do a still uh, caricature of the artists. Yeah, and they tried to like move them around a little bit. And some of them they were better about, like the Marx Brothers are already kind of cartoonish, so they did all of the Marx Brothers. They work in caricature. When they try to make a caricature of Cagney talk, it looks a little odd. Uh, some of those people, I don't know who they are still.
0: <laughs> it's like, I know who
1: Laurel and Hardy are. I know who, uh, Jimmy Stewart is. I know who Henry Fonda is. I think the caricature of Henry Fonda is really wonderful. Yeah. Uh, they do a, a wonderful caricature of Marlena Dietrich in that one as well. Uh, all of these, and they're the sort of running gag throughout and the punchline of the end is, uh, there's a, a mysterious blonde woman uh, who, who has her face covered, who's sort of like stalking mm. through the club, and Clark Gable is sort of chasing after her, saying, "Hey, follow me." this should be interesting. And by the end, he gets to uh, like sort of s- sweeps up this woman in his arms and says, "Hey, I've been chasing you all night. What's going on?" And she uh, uncovers her face, and it's Groucho Marx. And ah. Kind of like raises his eyebrows. Ha ha! I fooled you. I, walka. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm Waka Waka. I'm Groucho Marx. Uh. Just for educational purposes alone, this belongs on the list. Uh, I think the Looney Tunes is one of those few things that actually started to look at popular culture as popular culture. That it started to look out as at showbiz in general and sort of compiled it in a way that wasn't being done in mainstream feature films or any other venue.
0: And when we say this, what we mean is that if you actually watch like a lot of classic cinema, there aren't a lot of references to other contemporary movies the way mm. we would now casually reference something like Star Wars or Indiana yeah, Jones yeah. or whatever like that. Occasionally because, there uh, would be like one quick gag, but generally speaking, it was considered a little gauche, and it kind mm. of felt like it was like almost breaking the fourth wall to well, acknowledge that like, Carrie Grant existed in real life it it was
1: distracting uh, because you didn't want to call attention to necessarily Mm. another studio's product for instance or another film you want people to focus on that film right in this moment Mm -hmm. also you know this was you know the 30s and 40s TVs weren't in homes yet
0: yeah movies were not an experience that people had literally every single day you had to Mm. step out for it so it's a little different
1: uh, so, yeah, the, the idea of media saturation hadn't reached the point it, it it did. I think you can sort of fast forward to something like Jean-Luc Godard's Breathless to sort mm-hmm. of see the flashpoint of the, the new way of talking about media. But I feel like before that happened, before Breathless, Hollywood Steps Out is sort of the crux of conversation about popular culture in just putting a bunch of caricatures of famous Hollywood stars together in the same room and doing little tiny visual gags based on their known persona. mm uh, there's a, a gag with Mickey Rooney where Mickey Rooney gets the bill at this expensive club and he turns around to an actor playing his dad and says, Dad, I think we need to have a heart-to-heart, which is a line from one of his movies. <laughs> yeah. And then he does that little cute little Mickey Rooney smile. Uh, I, I think it's sort of cute that it's... Maybe tapping into something that you would assume people in the pre-TV era wouldn't have access to, that is, popular culture.
0: Yeah.
1: A, a known working vocabulary of everything that's out there in the media. Yeah. And a movie like Hollywood Steps Out proves that the people did. Yeah. And these were gags that people were expected to get. That these were personalities large enough that they were just part of a regular part of the conversation. Interesting. I have a couple
0: of different places to go from that. I'm All debating right. which segue to make. I think I'm going to go with the cartoon that I thought you were kind of going for. All right. Because I, was, I didn't think you were going in Hollywood caricatures. And that's a really, really great... Uh, I think it's important to watch older have, media in general. You know, and, I have another
1: one kinda like Hollywood Steps Out. Okay, well know, maybe yeah, then I'll let so. you I'll
0: let you get to it maybe next. But um the uh I, it it's great to be able to sort of immerse yourself in earlier culture and um be able to recognize when someone's doing Bogart or doing Bella see that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I like from a lot of these old uh, Looney Tunes cartoons is that it's also a lot of older music. Mm. uh sometimes classical music obviously what's opera doc has opera in it uh but also a lot of just like what were at the time were contemporary hits and mm. uh there's one cartoon in particular it's an early tex avery cartoon uh which is where i know a popular 1930s song from it is also one of the sweetest cartoons ever mm. produced by looney tunes uh, it is actually not, It doesn't feature any of the usual Cast of characters mm-hmm. And frankly, it's not even that funny It's just <laughs> a nice, kind-hearted story It's called I Love to Singa from 1936
1: oh, th- that, That's like a runner-up on my list yeah. I didn't choose I Love to Singa But I love to sing It became a a big part Of the conversation In the 90s Because uh, it was quoted In an episode Of South Park Yeah Uh, Aliens took over the town And when they zapped you With their ray They sang audio From this very cartoon Yeah So uh, I love Of of, uh, the young Owl Jolson (laughs) Yeah So uh, the (laughs) The
0: The the gag in it is there's a family of owls and uh, the father is and this is very very much a a takeoff of the jazz singer, Mm. Uh, but uh, the father is a very stuffy classical musician and he's trying to teach his young son uh, to sing classical music. Well, and when Uh, in
1: fact uh, the opening of the cartoon is all of his children are hatching and each one hatches literally with an instrument. Yeah. And uh, the youngest, Al Jolson, hatches and starts singing <gasps> jazz. Yeah, <laughs> horror of horrors. And the jazz song he's singing is actually—it's not a—it's not a particularly
0: like by today's standards. It's laughable. This would never be considered controversial. Uh, but it's uh, I love to sing about uh, the, the moon and the june and, the duna and, duna and the spring. And yeah. I love to sing about the skies of. Blue. So you you probably have heard some variation of that tune it's a very very cute song. Uh, but at the time bit risque it's a bit like oh my god we're just gonna sing about stuff now are we um so it's a story about a guy who is trying to uh keep his son's interest in contemporary music down and over the course of the film uh the the child becomes ostracized and then ends up having an opportunity to sing like on the radio his newfangled music and then his father shows up and his father's like here to like see his son perform and when he sees his father instead of singing the song that was gonna make him really really famous the owl starts singing the classical music and all of a sudden his career is destroyed and the dad realizes that he's made a horrible mistake and he tells his son it's okay to sing the music that you like and then they all celebrate new music uh it is the kind of story that we're still telling today something like turning red is something very very similar there's a generational gap Where parents don't really understand their kids, and they try to impose their values, not realizing that their kids have perfectly fine values. It's just that tastes have changed. Interests have changed. People are becoming uh, slightly different than they were in your generation, and it's perfectly okay to accept them. Uh, and this is that story told As efficiently as I have ever seen it <laughs> It's really endearingly animated what It doesn't I, uh, have a lot of that strangeness
1: you used to from Tex Avery huh. It's actually a lot more reserved Than Tex Avery's well, the, usual this, stuff But it's great Well you're, t- you're talking about Tex Avery uh, I love to sing as one of the earlier shorts It came out in 1936 Well yeah. they've been doing it Like for almost a decade at that point But mm-hmm. uh, you know 1936 is mm-hmm. sort of Before the kind of the golden era, this is like Tex Avery's
0: uh, like eighth or ninth short for Warner Brothers. Yeah, so this 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 was before Tex
1: Avery got to be Tex Avery.
0: Yeah, he hadn't necessarily found his own voice yet, uh, which is fine. Uh, uh, But um, yeah, this is a wonderful cartoon. This cartoon is a little Mm.
1: masterpiece in and of itself. Uh, Something like "I Love to Sing" uh, really points out uh, something that I think we all need to acknowledge about film story Mm. Uh, and. Yeah, we're so used to uh, sort of your traditional ninety to one hundred and twenty minute screenplay having very particular beats, mm-hmm. and stories tend to move in a certain way because they're yeah. all codified in screenwriting books, and that's kind of what studios mandate from a lot of screenwriters. Yeah, follow the formula. Yeah, the the formula is is all, and when you actually boil stories down to their actual talking points, yeah. you usually only need like a minute. To yeah. tell those stories You can get Again look there's, We were just talking
0: about this In our Critically Claimed podcast mm. There's a SNL sketch From like a week ago About this recording mm. Where they talk about Short movies And how valuable How we yeah. value short movies Because we don't always have that time But there's a bit in that song Where they talk about The best short movies Are Pixar shorts
1: which are, three minutes. Yeah. which are typically
0: three minutes, and they're typically maximized for emotional punch. Mm. Not always not always equally successful, but like, yeah, you get the whole story out there in like three so, fucking
1: minutes, and it can be very effective. So I, I think that that's good evidence that story in a feature-length film is maybe less valuable than the telling of it and the yeah. character and the moments and the time you take. Yeah, uh, That's what you think of when you think of a movie. The actual story beats are just story beats. It's yeah. like the very, I can the give you the gist of a story of in a minute. Yeah. Like, exactly. It, yeah. There's, um, I haven't gone there in a while, but I was very fond of a, a website called angryalien.com. They had oh. uh, they did these little animated reenactments of feature films in 30 seconds, uh, okay. animated with rabbits, bunnies. Re-enacted oh, I bunnies. remember this one now. Yeah, I've seen this. They, they were big in sort of like the late 2000s. Yeah. I think stars ended up buying the property. Uh, yeah. America. Oh, they did, didn't they? Yeah. It's weird. Uh, but yeah, you can get the story of Casablanca in 30 seconds and not miss any important details. Yeah. Like please hold these visas. Of oh no, I'm plot. taking away of the plot. Just yeah. the, the story just the itself. Yeah. You don't get the bigger moments. It's the you back the cover acting. of the book. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I love to sing eyes uh, is, is a good example of that. Do you need to see a feature feature length version of the jazz singer? Not if you just want the story, the story's yeah. not important to the jazz singer. Yeah. The singing is important to the jazz singer. And I like, uh, I love to sing a little bit better because there's no racist imagery in it. That's also true.
0: Not that I recall, anyway. Uh, so, I don't know, that's I love to sing. What's All your
1: right. next pick? Uh, I'll go with, um, this one's not a Tex Avery cartoon, but it follows the Tex Avery mold. This is actually a Robert Clampett cartoon. Okay. But Tex Avery was the guy, No, he was the gag man. Uh, he would he would do the cartoons that were like, uh, like uh, travel logs. So we're going to travel around the world and here is, here's the Sphinx and it's just sitting there and the Sphinx says, monotonous, isn't it? And then it moves on to the next gag. Here we see a deer. Here it is looking for food in a house and it gets up and pounds on the door. Hey, how about a handout? Move on to the next one. Here is a cow puncher. He's punching a cow. What? This can't be right. Ah, you're confused too. Punch, 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 punch. They move on to the next gag. We don't go back to any of those other gags. Just like he had an idea for like a like a twenty second gag and just yeah. strung a bunch of them together. That's that was. Tex Avery's uh-huh. specialty. So what's this one? This one is a Robert Camp, Clampett cartoon called Book Review, and this set the template for uh, a lot of cartoons that came after, where the the lights are out. R e v u e book mm. review. Um, and uh, the lights are out in a bookstore. And mm. the characters in the books climb out and start interacting with each other. And this is another pop culture thing, like Hollywood Steps Out, where it's just taking the hot literature of the time, or just well-known classic literature, like Henry Eighth yeah. is in this as well, and they all just start interacting with one another. Uh, oh, they... I haven't seen this for forever.
0: I had to look at some stills. I was like, yeah. wait a minute, wait a minute. Now I remember it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah. Good pick.
1: Uh and yeah, this this is another example where I, I'm I'm picking it because it was really educational. Um mm-hmm. they make reference to a book in this uh in book review that I still don't know anything about. It's called So Big. Okay. Uh I don't know about So Big. But eventually eventually uh Daffy Duck shows up in this as well. Uh he sings a lot of scat. Uh there's just a lot of like pop references that I still need to sort of study.
0: Hmm.
1: But yeah, all of the hot books of what year did this one come out? Uh, nineteen forty-six. All the hot lit of nineteen forty-six is on display. Uh, I I kind of love that. I kind mm. of love that it celebrates reading and it does point out that oh wait a minute, people were just reading hot lit all the all the time, and mm. there was like pop literature at the time. Uh, what is um, what is the character that uh, Daffy Duck? Yeah, he because he's co- got, like got
0: like a zoot suit.
1: He's got a zoot suit and like a blonde wig, and I'm not exactly sure hmm. what, uh, what 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 the what gag is, is yeah. there.
0: Uh, nor am I, honestly. Mm. You know that I because you know doing more than I did. Uh, let me see here. But uh, uh, yeah, if if
1: you look up uh, just the dense number of pop references in this cartoon, this would give you like a full uh, map. Of where pop culture was in 1946. And I really appreciate that it is so complex and does go so deep into popular culture that uh, it, it really kind of ch- changes your perspective of yeah. the way people were consuming media at the time. It
0: might help to do a little ancillary reading here. And yeah. it's worth remembering when you're watching these like older cartoons that um, a lot of the pop culture references that we take for granted right now will be alienating to future generations faster than you think. Yeah. Give it 10 years in some cases. Some cases, In some cases, maybe 20. Mm. A lot of the things that we just sort of know offhand, there will come a time, especially if you're younger and if, if you haven't experienced this yet, like in your teens or 20s, when you're listening to this, um... Right now almost everyone in your age group is in your age group. They grew up with the same stuff you did. They're oh. experiencing the same pop culture you did. There will come a time when you hit your 30s that that are thereabouts where you start you 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 talk to someone who's like 20 and you realize that their entire cultural frame of reference is different. Damn. And the stuff that is important to you is not important to them. Mm. It might be really old to them because they're younger and 10 years is half their life. So it's like this ancient thing that they don't give a crap about. That they <laughs> think only the old people care about. And you're gonna run into that in something like Book Review or a lot of these other older mm. Lunacunes where like these are references to books that were super popular when this came out. Mm. Everyone would recognize because books were the dominant form of media. You could take a book home. You couldn't take a movie home for many decades. Yeah, the uh, like so people I, knew these books. These were like mm. obvious jokes. Everyone everyone in the audience was expected to get mm. this reference to a joke of the cover of a novel called So Big that no one fucking remembers anymore. Wow. So it's going to be a little weird to watch it, and it might want to do a little extra research to like get the jokes, mm-hmm. but I think that's also part of the value of Looney Tunes, that they yeah, are part I, of our history. I,
1: I like that uh, they tried to update this formula when, they start, when uh, Spielberg came in and started redoing a lot of these old characters for yeah. the 90s cartoons, uh, yeah. Tiny Toons and Animaniacs, yeah. uh, because... Like they play the same, but they play a lot different. Yeah. Like the gag is the same. We're gonna put fill a restaurant with all of the hot celebrities of the day. But the hot celebrities yeah. of the day are Michael Keaton from the nineteen eighty nine Batman film. and yeah. They're gonna have uh, you know Roseanne Barr. Yeah. F- figures and who are like hot in the late eighties yeah. and early nineties.
0: Sabs uh, Bunny had a thing in yeah. Tiny Toons where she did a lot of imitations. He was oh. that was that was her kind of comedy. A lot of people she was imitating probably aren't that recognizable like like Joan
1: Rivers was one of her go-to imitations I think that's because the voice actress Truss McNeil could do a really good Joan Rivers right and like nowadays
0: Uh, Joan Rivers hasn't been with us for a while a lot of younger people probably couldn't recognize Joan Rivers's voice but in the 90s you knew Joan Rivers
1: yeah yeah. Uh, yeah And they did that on Animaniacs as well, Uh, especially with Book Review. Specifically, they did the same thing, but in a video store, yeah, which is a lot different, isn't it? Because now you're making visual film references rather than alluding to lit, which is a little bit more elastic when it comes to animation. You can kind of invent the context of the characters as you go. Uh, I also think it's very, very funny, even if I don't get the gags.
0: Uh, Okay, well, uh, next up, I'm going to do one. This is actually... Uh, let me make sure I get the exact title right here, because it's a little elaborate. Uh, okay. Ah, here we go. Mm. Uh, this next one is one of the funniest cartoons I've ever seen in my life. The timing on mm. this cartoon uh, could, could like, I'm trying to think of, like, Who's the most famously humorless person in in history, reality or fiction? (laughs) Darth Vader would laugh at this. (laughs) Darth Vader would go like, oh, oh, oh." Oh, I needed that today. That's a good belly laugh. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about the Dover boys at Pimento University or the rivals of Rockfort Hall.
1: (laughs) This is my number one. (laughs) Oh my God.
0: I did it to you. You did it to me this Uh, time. That's that's fine. Often Whitney picks my Um, number one a little early. The, uh, this is one of the funniest damn things ever made. The, the,
1: it's another Chuck Jones short. Um, yeah. It's one of Chuck Jones' Chuck Jones' first shorts where he became Chuck Jones. Yeah, that is to say, if you look look at a lot of Chuck Jones' earlier shorts, he was just imitating Disney. Disney had a very particular style, a lot of sort of fluid 3D uh, bodily character animation. Yeah, uh, and that's very fun. It's actually very impressive. Yeah. Uh, my issue with uh, a lot of the earlier Disney shorts is that they're incredibly impressively animated, but they're not really fun. I don't find myself getting a good belly laugh Out of a a, lot of Disney shorts A lot of the
0: early Disney stuff Because again, Mm. animation was still a very fresh medium There had been animation Mm. before Disney, obviously But Disney helped pioneer, Well, not Help popularize this very elastic hmm. form of animation, where basically you're just sort of fascinated to see things move half the time. Yeah, well, and, and the way that like reality the, uh, warped as you on the screen, yeah, it, in a very uh, self-aware kind of way.
1: Well, I I don't feel it was a warp necessarily. If you're thinking, unless you're thinking of something like UbiWorks, oh, like the early like well, the really I was, early actually, 30s but shorts. Yeah. But I was referring to more like Disney in the 40s. Ah, like, like okay. Uh, I get the old Mill was the th- 30s, but the, that yeah. aesthetic of everything yeah. actually has a little bit more of a solid nature to it. Okay, yes. And the characters were a lot more solid. Uh, and I get l- it. l- like it's something yeah. like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. You yeah. know, th- those are solid characters. I was, I thought you were talking uh, about the uh, and, and that's my bad. and that's what Chuck Jones did in the early part of his career was just imitating a lot of that Disney stuff. The Dover Boys of Pimento, you—they <laughs> are. A lot of still images. They are mm. flat caricatures. Uh-huh. They pose in dramatic ways. Yeah, it's a spoof of the kinds of melodramatic uh, stories you might have read in the 1890s. It's specifically a spoof like,
0: of a series of like young adult novels called *The Rover Boys*, uh-huh. uh, which was basically like it's like the Hardy Boys but without the mysteries. Here mm. are these heroic, dashing do-gooders, and mm. they have their own, they have their girlfriend, and the one evil guy in town, and uh, the, it's yeah. all very it's all very arch yeah, the,
1: and uh the dover boys is making fun of that archness uh, tom dick and larry are the dover boys and yeah. they are animated very differently but they all pose the same they yeah. eschew alcohol they do not go into pool halls but uh the green skinned cigarette smoking villain <laughs> kidnaps their girlfriend and ha- they have to go rescue uh rescue yeah. the, their lady love uh
0: the the, the... They're, all of the different characters have uh, very different uh, for- levels of rigidity. Mm-hmm. Um, their uh, their girlfriend uh, Dora Standpipe uh, barely moves. She's a, she's she's basically a she, pipe. She's basically just stands upright. When the she walks,
1: there. she sort of like slides yeah. around on the ground. She doesn't yeah. even move
0: her legs. Uh, Tom, Dick, and Larry have a tendency to move in quick spurts, but mm-hmm. then stay very very rigid, very stoic and heroic. And then there's Dan Backslide, <laughs> the villain, who is absolutely wonderfully extreme in every yeah. way. I love it when he. How I hate them! They drive me to drink. And then he runs to the bar and he just drinks like shots shots shot 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 over and shot over the again. Yeah. Uh, there's a great bit where, like, he sees uh, the the story is incredibly simple. Uh, the Dover boys are playing hide and go seek in the park with uh, Doris Standpipe, and. Uh, Dan Backslide sees them hiding and realizes that Dora is unprotected, and so uh, he steals a runabout, which is what he would call a car. And there's this wonderful bit: like a runabout, I'll steal it.
1: No one will ever know.
0: He steals her. And, and Dan, she doesn't even notice because she's so busy counting.
1: Dan for the... Backslide is, is Mel Blank. Oh yeah. Uh, we haven't we haven't given a shout out to Mel Blank no. yet because we haven't gotten to sort of the main characters yet. But no, yeah, we haven't really
0: he... talked about like a lot of bugs and daff and it's Mel
1: Blank played Dan Backslide. He d- did not play the Dover Boys.
0: Yeah. Uh and basically he kidnaps Dora Standpipe and he's he's trying to like Attack her, but mm. while she's calling yeah. out for Tom, Dick, and Larry, she, she's
1: pounding on a do- the door yeah. of the room she's locked in. Yeah, but every With time her back
0: to Dan backslide, every time Healy like, tries to sneak up on her, she picks him up and throws him. Just well, there's, absolutely throat. She does not need any help whatsoever. She beats the living shit out of Tom, out of Dan backslide my, uh, until Tom, until Dan backslide is calling Tom, Dick, and Larry for help. Oh, Tom, game.
1: yeah. The, my favorite visual gag, where she, she's pounding on the door, looking out the window, and uh, Dan backslides coming up behind her, and her body, her whole body bends backwards to kick him in the, the chin. <laughs> like, her top half doesn't stop doing what it's doing, but she yeah. still kicks him from behind. Yeah, it's,
0: it's incredibly brilliant. And what's weird about it is that it's actually playing with a technique which... We don't usually associate with the Looney Tunes Which is very limited animation mm. There's a lot of this is, isn't that animated There's a lot of it's just being still mm. uh, And the stillness is the gag The gag is that nothing's happening right now Why isn't anything happening right now It's mm. really weird Later on, people like Hanna-Barbera Would use this to make cheap-ass cartoons <laughs> Because you don't need to constantly animate anything To get the gist across But Chuck but Jones were doing, doing it on purpose yeah. yeah, And this is absolutely brilliant One uh, of the funniest it, things ever Um if you haven't seen it, please
1: do. It, it is so damn funny. Yeah,
0: uh, well, I'm sorry but, I took you number
1: one. No, it's fine. It's fine. I'm yeah. glad we got to talk about it. Um, right. speaking of some of uh, some of the funniest cartoons I've, I've ever seen, maybe we can get into uh, some of the better known characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm, so yeah, let me let me do another Chuck thinking? Jones because uh, yeah. I have a couple more Chuck Jones on my list. Um, yeah. one that you know the Dover Boys always makes me laugh.
0: Yeah.
1: Drip along, Daffy always makes me laugh. Yeah, I love. I know daffy. you do. This is one of your favorites. Drip along, Daffy has long been one of my favorites. Uh, I, I, it was really close to being on uh, right at my number one. Uh, Let's be honest here. We're Daffy people, right? We are Daffy people. There's a couple uh, of Bugs
0: Bunnies on mine,
1: but we're mostly Daffy. <laughs> I have, uh, th- I have three Daffys on my list. I have, uh, um, I have, yeah, one, two, yeah, I have three, three different Shit, daffy. Somehow I only have two. Okay,
0: but I also. Oh, hmm. weird. Hmm. No, I have three Daffys and three Bugses. Okay. But there's one that's an overlap, so it's fine.
1: I have uh, three Daffys, I have a Bugs, I have a Porky, and... Uh, and yeah, yeah, I guess I those are of my list. I also have
0: a Porky. I'm curious if we have the same Porky, okay. but let's move on.
1: Uh... But Along Daffy is the spoof of Westerns, where uh, Daffy is the Western hero and his sidekick uh, is Porky Pig. And he has to fight Nasty Canasta, the, gun- <laughs> the evil, uh, evil gunslinger in the local town. Yeah. Uh, and this is just an example of perfect comic timing, wonderful setups. Uh, Chuck Jones using a lot of really creative angles to sort of shoot the action, quote, shoot the action, draw the action. Uh, when when they finally do like the final gunfight, for instance, they yeah. uh, Chuck Jones does some interesting things. He shows them in profile, but then he is like an angle from inside a room across the street, and we see the character out the like, window. He's like he's selling it yeah. for drama,
0: like it's like you're watching yeah. the movie High Noon or something. Yeah. But
1: but at the same time, uh, Daffy Duck is this modern character in the middle of all this who is a little bit out of like mm. out of sync with the rest of the world. Yeah. He's Daffy. Because he's Daffy Duck. It's like, hey, put, reach for the sky. And he puts a gun right in Nasty Canasta's face, and Nasty Canasta eats it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the the DNA. Uh, uh, there's a movie that would not exist, I think, if not for Drip Along Daffy. I would put money on it. It's Rango. <laughs> yeah, right, Drip Rango Daffy a, is the a movie. a lot basically. to Drip Along Daffy. Yeah.
1: Rango is quite a good film. By I like the way. Rango uh, a
0: lot. Yeah. Rango is very funny. Uh,
1: yeah, but Drip Along Daffy. Uh, the the bit in the bar always makes me laugh. Where uh, Nasty Canasta has this like really nasty al- uh, alcoholic beverage. Yeah, that it's he like drinks. horrifying. Yeah. Like it's like like sizzling, it, it w- wiggles around. Acid, uh, the, yeah. the the bartender puts ice in it, and the ice literally jumps out and goes jumping and goes looking <laughs> for water. And uh, and then he uh, he makes one for Daffy, and Nasty Canasta says drink, and uh, Daffy, being the the hero that he is, says. Hey, Porky, come over here. Drink this. And Porky <laughs> drinks it. And he says, thank you. It was delicious. And he walks off. Uh, we get to see the process of making this drink. The bartender puts on like a welding yeah. mask and uh, you know welding clamps to sort of pour these uh, ingredients. One of the ingredients is called Old Panther, which Chuck ah. Jones uh, said in an interview a long time ago. He was surprised he got away with because that's short for Old Panther piss. Wow. Uh, which, is you know, it's just a... a Slang term for like rot got booze, and yeah, uh, Daffy drinks it. It's like, oh, well, that wasn't so bad, and then his eyes go big, yeah, and then his hat shrinks, like in the
0: <laughs>
1: bizarre reactions to drinking this booze, and yeah, it just goes completely insane. And eventually, there's a big shootout. Nice, uh, the, the Gower Gulch song is really funny because Gower Gulch uh, refers to uh. Uh, Gower and Melrose. That's uh, mm. where Paramount Studios is right now uh, in Hollywood. And it used to be a site where a lot of a- like would-be actors would hang out. Mm. It's like where they'd go for uh, for some R&R also. I-, I think there was also like cattle calls in that area as well. The cattle calls that is where the actors would go to see if they'd be hired as extras for a studio production that day. It's like we, we need 30 extras just go outside and get, bring some people in off the street. And that mm-hmm. was kind of how a lot of Hollywood productions were made. You probably see that in a lot of old movies. Yeah. Uh, they turned Gower Gulch into an old Western song. Her name is Minerva Ulch. Oh, she's the flower of Gower Gulch. <laughs> Cute little Hollywood in joke. There. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Drip along Daffy is just. Well done, sublime yeah. comedy. It always makes me laugh. Well, I, 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 I dig it a lot. I, I actually, funnily enough, I actually picked. I'm, I'd be, I would be surprised if this
0: isn't on your list. Uh-huh. Uh, I picked the spiritual successor to Drip Daffy. Mm-hmm. Drip on Daffy came out in like 1951, mm-hmm. and then my next pick is a film that also has. Uh, Daffy Duck trying to prove his manliness while Porky Pig undermines him at every turn <laughs> in a genre setting um, I'm talking about Duck Dodgers of the 24th right. and half century I,
1: I in the 24th and I, half
0: century I,
1: it's on my runners up not because I don't love it I actually really adore this cartoon thought got be a little obvious uh, yeah it's a little obvious though yeah this is uh, this I, one that I, probably I really could have Duck made Dodgers. our like
0: top three Yeah, didn't yeah. need to be mentioned but I think it needs to be mentioned
1: Duck Dodgers got his own series for goodness he sake he did
0: yeah. it was okay it was okay but the original is untouchable the, uh, th- the theme song is better than the
1: show Oh my god <laughs>
0: Please stop what you're doing right now The Duck
1: Dodgers theme song As sung by, sung by Tom Jones It's
0: incredible It's like, like Tom a Jones, standard Tom Jones went for it Like <laughs> it's, there's, there's, um, uh, there's a story that they told of um, uh, oh, Was it Cab Calloway Who was in uh, The Blues Brothers
1: uh, he was one of them, yeah. One of the many musicians in the Blues Brothers, yeah. but yeah, Cab Calloway was. Yeah, Cab it.
0: Calloway. So, like, uh, there's a story that that uh, when they made the Blues Brothers, Cab Calloway, at this point an aging musician, um, did uh, he? He had a small role as the guy who mentored the Blues Brothers, and he gets to do a song, he gets to sing "Minnie the Moocher," which is one of his mm-hmm. well, arguably his, his most famous
1: songs, his signature hit. If you yeah,
0: know. and um, they did a take. And uh, the director, John Landis, hmm. less said the better, but he directed the film. Uh, he said he was just like, I was, I was a little disappointed. And I was like, um, and Kelly was like, what, what's wrong? Well, your Cab Calloway. I, I thought you were going like, to give it like 110%. And Kelly was like, oh, you want 110%? Well, let's go. <laughs> and then <laughs> Cab, Cab Calloway's was like 80 at that point. Yeah, but yeah. like he... he brought it, and he gave a really, really great performance. It just, he, he thought, you just wanted me to phone it in and just do the bid. He was like, no, you really wanted me to do it for real. Oh, we'll do it for real. Um... Anyway, I I digress, but uh, that's Tom Jones doing Duck Dodgers. Mm. I bet Tom Jones did a normal take, and they were like, no, 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 you're Tom Jones. We want Tom Jones. Could you do Tom Jones? Could you do Tom, like, seriously, what's new Pussycat Tom Jones? Like, really do it.
1: What? Oh, heck yeah. Duck Dodgers! Incredible. Just
0: hits it. Anyway, Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century is, of course, uh, a spoof of Buck Rogers, Mm. uh, which was itself, uh, you know, part of that Flash Gordon wave of early sci-fi pulp serial heroes. Mm. Daffy Duck plays Duck Dodgers As you can imagine Porky Pig plays his assistant They run into Marvin the Martian uh, One of the funniest gags In all of Looney Tune history Is when uh, Daffy Duck pulls out His disintegrating pistol <laughs> He's, He threatens Marvin With a disintegrating pistol And then we cut to this Really fabulously designed Sci-fi It's got like Rings around it Like Saturn yeah. and, it's and, just... the, and it's a
1: close-up and it's So it, that means It's a hand-painted background yeah. For that one shot It's not animated uh, Ink and paint Yeah you can usually uh, tell it,
0: You can usually tell an old, Especially an older animated uh, 2D stuff uh, when like the background just feels a little bit more rich it's like and t- solid te- textured, and but you nuanced. can tell that bit is going to be interacted with because that's clearly painted on, like a little brighter. Uh not okay. so here. Um, he he's like, I will use my disintegration pistol, my disintegrating pistol, and he pushes the trigger and the gun, the gun disintegrates. disintegrates. <laughs> oh, what do you know? It uh, it, d- it disintegrates. <laughs> Funniest goddamn well, and, joke. And they I have all. like
1: these little yeah. widget pistols uh, when. Yeah. Uh, they're trying to claim Planet X for either Earth or Mars between yeah. the two of them. I uh, claim it for Planet Earth. I claim Planet X well, for Planet... I claim planet... it for Mars. Isn't that lovely? Ooh, and yeah, um, Pretty good, actually. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah. They... Uh, and in order to uh, issue ultimata to one another, they have ultimatum giving pistols. <laughs> like, fire a bullet, and like a, the bullet will stop inside the chamber of the their rival, yeah. and a little sign will extend from it. It's funny when the, you think uh, about it. Read <laughs> the ultimatum. As
0: far into the Warner Brothers, Mary Melody's, Looney Tunes canon as 1953, they still needed an excuse to break the rules. Yeah. And the sci-fi world of Buck Rogers, Duck Dodgers, Flash Gordon, whatever, gave them so much freedom to do weird stuff. The production design in this episode, the animated production design, the image of what buildings look like and ships look like, is like, it's soisian it's, it's in it's, <laughs> and it's, and it's, and its absolute inspiration. Uh, like it's, it's, it's like the, the work of Dr. Soyce, less Dr. Seuss. Yeah. Um, absolutely impeccable design. Incredibly funny Uh It just Nothing looks like it Like even other Like other space Stuff mm-hmm. That they did In the Looney Tunes Just doesn't look This inspired It's one of the best Looking cartoons I've ever seen in my life And on top of it It's always all, right. really really fun yeah. So Duck uh, Doggers that, and 24th uh, have and, to go. and
1: that's another Chuck Jones short
0: Yeah I'm,
1: I'm a sucker for Chuck Jones well, I, 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 I probably have more well. Chuck Jones I than have, anything else um I in fact I have two more Chuck Jones shorts On my list I think I have um, at least Two more but we'll find out Yeah I've, I've uh, I, th- I
0: didn't pay as close attention To that as you did I All just right. picked the ones I liked Okay. Right.
1: Um Well I guess I'll go through Another uh, Daffy Duck Chuck Jones short uh, another, another one that always Makes me laugh uh, The Yoikes and Away bit From Robin Hood Daffy oh, Will goodness. never not
0: make me laugh um, Oh my god And it's another It's another one that Pairs him up with Porky Except this time Porky is his nemesis
1: Well Porky is Only his nemesis In that he's making him Look foolish Just by laughing At his every effort
0: Yeah It's like uh, uh, he's playing Friar Tuck uh, And but- uh Daffy is, is obviously da- Daffy Duck Robin is Robin
1: Hood, Hood. and uh, Daffy Duck um, starts by, like, singing. He's playing a lute, and he's walking through the yeah. woods, and he's singing about being Robin Hood. And then he trips. Like, to trip and trip and trip and trip and trip and trip and trip, and he trips down the hill and he lands in a, a river, yeah. but then he finishes the song anyway.
0: And Porky's uh, Porky Pig there laughing saw
1: it and laughs at him. Porky's and, and,
0: Friar Tuck in this bit.
1: And Porky in seeing this buffoonish Robin Hood, just refuses to believe that he's Robin Hood. So, of course, uh, Daffy, with his ego wounded, has to prove it.
0: Yeah.
1: And every time he tries, he fails miserably, because mm-hmm. he's completely incompetent at being Robin Hood. Uh, there is a rich person on a very tiny horse that he will try to rob. And at, at every time he tries to rob him, it doesn't work. In fact, in some cases, he, uh, he aids this thing, uh, this rich man who's on a horse. It's a bit where he fires a rather gigantic arrow, <laughs> and it ends up like shooting a- across a chasm and uh, allowing the-, the rich person to safely cross. He tries blocking the drawbridge, and the drawbridge just falls on him. <laughs> uh, but the the yoiks and away bit, where he tries to swing on a rope to uh, swoop in and grab the money out of this guy's hand, yeah, goes horribly awry because each time he tries, he hits the next tree over. Yeah, yoiks and away, thunk, oh. yoiks. In a way, th- and and gets less coherent with each thump, and he gets to like 12 trees on the way down. And if you are not sick with laughter by the time he gets to the bottom, you're a stronger man than I.
0: <laughs> you know you know, this is an important cartoon, mm. when they released uh, The Adventures of Robin Hood on Blu-ray, the Errol Flynn version. Yeah, the the, 19, best. the 1938
1: film. The best, yeah. and, and honestly...
0: One of the most influential movies of all time. Like almost Mm. all modern Modern, action movies, modern
1: adventure films, and modern
0: superhero movies all come from the Adventures of Robin Robin Hood Hood and Mark Zora, like those, the silent Mark Zora, like those are the two. Mm. Um, They included this cartoon. (laughs) They knew that this is part of the experience. This is absolutely indelible. To Robin Hood lore Is Robin Hood Daffy mm-hmm. And it's a classic um, It didn't quite make my list I'm a slightly bigger fan Of the Scarlet Pumpernickel uh, Which is also very funny <laughs> That was well, more that of an in-joke where Daffy's a, a meta, meta-narrative Daffy is a, uh, pitching a movie Where he's playing A, a, a handsome, heroic uh, Superhero
1: type it was playing the Scarlet Pimpernel But well, he's yeah. called The Scarlet Pumpernickel Because it's because it's a joke but it's like, funny. yeah I slightly prefer that one but it's it, yeah. these are both great yeah. classic that, cartoons, yeah. I, I like the end of the Scarlet Pumpernickel because yeah. uh, the movie he's pitching has to get wilder just so he can keep the executive's attention yeah so it's like and what happened then then the damn burst <laughs> and, and uh, as he's going on and then there was a hurricane and the storm broke and all its fury and what else uh, the price of foodstuff skyrocketed <laughs> It's a still picture. It's like one Kreplak one (laughs) hundred dollars.
0: No, that's a great one too. It didn't make my list, but that's I. I It's Mm. like that's my slightly preferred version of Daffy as a uh,
1: costumed hero of some kind. I I think just the comic timing and the slapstick and Robin Hood Daffy is just so so perfect. No, it's really really great. I have a couple more Daffy ones. Let me let Mm. me go. Let me go on
0: older Daffy because I think a lot of the Daffy cartoons that we like are after Daffy. Kind of became Daffy. Yeah, initially Daffy Duck was called Daffy Duck because he was just really wacky. Daffy as an adjective
1: rather yeah. than a name uh,
0: Around like the late 40s, give or take uh, Daffy became a bit more codified As more of a foil, often for uh, uh, Bugs Bunny yeah. Where he was an egomaniac uh, He had such a powerful ego that he would do anything uh, to protect himself and That was and,
1: a later character development Yeah, and,
0: and that's kind of the Daffy we know and love today But the earlier Daffy stuff is quite good too and I wanted to include one of the older ones, and I think my favorite is Drafty Daffy. Drafty uh, Daffy, I don't dra- think I know that one. Drafty Daffy was up so in the in the early 1940s. Uh, a lot of animation studios did a lot of propaganda cartoons. Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, most of them are bad. I'm going to say this right now. Mm. Occasionally, they're good.
1: A lot of them are racist. There, there's a few that are just aggressively racist, a spectacularly like, like, so, like pointedly racist. Yeah, like uh, there's some anti-Japanese cartoons that were made in the 1940s. Oh yeah, that are just there's you're a, not going to find them on a lot of uh, no. a lot of c- collections. I do uh, appreciate um, when Warner Brothers put out the Looney Tunes Golden Collection. They put yeah. out six box sets which have all of the uh, Warner Brothers and Mel. Warner Brothers cartoons From the early days Of the 1930s To like the golden era like, Yeah the in, complete, in the, the, the mid 50s yeah.
0: Which is not and it's but, all of them HBO Max doesn't have All of them Which is frustrating But it has uh, a lot
1: It has like hundreds It's actually a, yeah. g- a pretty good collection Yeah but every once in a while the uh, building, There
0: was one I wanted to Like possibly put on this list Called mm. Showbiz Bugs
1: Yeah
0: um, And uh, I couldn't find it So oh, I couldn't really? rewatch it Which is very very frustrating Because it used to be no. One of my favorites Maybe there's something in it That's really horrible And that's why it's not on there And mm. I just don't remember that I don't recall, but I couldn't rewatch it, so I couldn't yeah. put it on my list. So it's not complete, but mm-hmm. they have a lot. But anyway, uh, but yeah. So there's some of these propaganda cartoons have aged very poorly. Drafty Daffy's pretty good though, and the reason why Drafty Daffy is good is because it's actually not about the war. It is about uh, cowardice. <laughs> uh, the
1: the
0: it's a it's a Bob Clampett cartoon, and uh, Daffy opens uh, with uh, he. Uh, He's reading about the war effort And he's hearing that America is doing Rather well uh, And he gets very very excited And he like uh, You know he starts In, in a in a uh, wild display Of patriotism He starts singing George M. Cohen songs And mm. he's very very thrilled And uh, while he is like celebrating America's latest military victory overseas He gets a phone call saying someone from the draft board Is coming with a letter And he's like okay great what <laughs> and all of a sudden he realizes he's going to be drafted to go to war and he will do anything not to do that <laughs> so there's this horrifying shot it really freaks me out every single time where daffy like opens up a spyglass like in a pirate movie and he's peering out his window terrified that the draft board guy is going to be there and and we cut to like the pov of this telescope that he's got in his hand and you see like a faraway tree faraway tree and then a giant ultra detailed eyeball <laughs> <laughs> this is something that people usually associate this type of humor with like uh ren and stimpy uh-huh. As like a more modern thing right yeah. here uh, they did it here too
1: uh the creator of ren and stimpy uh yeah. you know, a, a creep unto himself but yeah he has, massive creep he, he's openly admitted that he's essentially just trying to recreate bob clampett
0: yeah so there you go. Uh, so, uh, but basically, there's and it's basically a droopy cartoon. the uh, The guy from the draft board is a little diminutive guy who's very unassuming. And Daffy Duck will do anything: barricade his walls, destroy anything he possibly can uh, to keep him out. And then he just sort of pops in and says, "Hello," uh, and that's the whole bit. Is Daffy Duck completely losing his mind? Uh, doing everything he can, he plants bombs. He, uh, uh, and, and it doesn't even conclude. It concludes with, this is basically his hell. It's basically like uh, the Black Cat from Edgar Allan Poe, mm. uh, where it's just like, this guy is unstoppable. And Daffy is in, he, instead of just meeting his fate, which is weird for a propaganda cartoon... For a cartoon about, like, the American war effort mm. To have the protagonist be a coward Who never learns a viable <laughs> lesson About, like, your patriotism mm. or some shit It's just him being a coward And running from the draft guy And that's the entire mm. thing It's, for a prop for a World War II-centric cartoon uh-huh. Made during World War II It's weirdly subversive <laughs> <laughs> Because it's about, like, Daffy Duck is Actually rather sane mm. He doesn't want to go to war who would? I understand patriotism. I understand wanting to defend our shores, but also war is hell. Who wouldn't want to, you know, who wouldn't have reservations about that? No. So it's it's a very, very good cartoon, and it... it uh, it manages to skirt the topic rather well. Yeah.
1: Um, what I was going to bring up earlier about yeah. the, uh, the box sets that they put out for these uh, cartoons is there is one of the box sets that contains a lot of the propaganda cartoons and they uh, did keep all of the racist stuff on yeah. there. They said, we'd rather look at it yeah. and talk about it rather than pretend these things didn't exist. It's actually yeah. healthier to have them as a document, even yeah. though we understand and they've actually put disclaimers on it that that these are not good views. These are yeah. wrong views and this yeah. came out at a certain time and yeah, these The context is absolutely on. necessary if you're going to watch there's, those. There's yeah. a lot of racist imagery that thro- uh, yeah. actually makes its way throughout a lot of these cartoons of the era. Um, there's one that doesn't get uh, rotated through much anymore. Uh, it's a Bob Clampett cartoon. It's called Coal Black into Seven Dwarves.
0: Oh,
1: yeah. Which, uh... Yeah. It is considered one of the best cartoons. It actually has some really amazing animation, but it also banks on some very racist imagery. Yeah. So, um, it it's not one you're going to see rotated through a lot. I think yeah. it's actually uh, worth a watch. Yeah. Uh, it's it doesn't espouse some ugly attitudes, but it does have a lot of racist imagery.
0: Yeah, in it. it's 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 uh, tour you know, tour there. Like yeah, you, you have yeah, to understand uh, you when you watch some I, older um, stuff, you will be yeah, exposed to some older attitudes and some really ugly stuff.
1: It's it's like uh, you watch something like Birth of a Nation. Uh, that is just mm. a, a straight-up racist film it right. espouses racist attitudes uh and then you go to something like the looney tunes it's like it was made at a racist time where yeah. uh it just sort of reflects common racist attitudes among the white creators which, isn't of itself, which is in and of it's itself com- horrible it's horrible and it's actually a lot more insidious than something that's a little bit more up yeah, front that, that's why it's dangerous yeah, because so, like it,
0: it's like oh, it's not so bad right yeah. you know it's absolutely fucking horrible actually yeah. mm-hmm. um but uh, it's a part of history, and mm-hmm. if, you, so, if you're interested, uh, yeah. we're not going to pretend this isn't part of the ch- a part of the Looney Tunes history. Definitely not on our list of the best Looney Tunes cartoons, no, no. for obvious reasons. No, uh, um, anyway, uh, but let's move on.
1: Yeah, I, I have um, one more Chuck Jones short on mm-hmm. my list, uh, and it's one, just one of my personal favorites, uh-huh. and it's my only Bugs Bunny cartoon. Oh. It's called Bully for Bugs. Oh, okay. Uh, which... Now because this is my only Bugs Bunny short, uh, I'm going to stop and talk about Bugs Bunny for a second. Uh, yeah. Bugs Bunny was designed uh, partly after Clark Gable. Uh, um, there's a yeah. scene specifically in specifically uh, that happened one it, night. there's a scene in the film and it happened one night when Clark Gable is just sort of snacking on a carrot and being kind of a, a, a city mouse, wiseacre, and a lot of Bugs Bunny's personality. When when they were first designing these proto Bugs Bunny characters. Uh, they took a lot of like the style and the attitudes from Clark Gable.
0: Yeah, in fact, he's uh, he's he's pretending to be a more threatening like gangster type. So he's using things like Bugs Bunny or whatever like that mm. as sort of like a uh, uh, mm. it, it, it's kind of like trying to seem like a city tough,
1: yeah, like uh, you know, like you're a
0: tough Bronx guy, don't mess with me. There's,
1: there's a lot you. of like, um. I'm guessing a lot of, like, the Bowery Boys were also making their way yeah. into this sort of, like, streetwise uh, Brooklyn kind of character that Bugs yeah. Bunny is. And yet, somehow, this streetwise Brooklyn character, who for whom reality is meaningless, and for whom uh, he's just sort of, like, pursuing his own relaxed sense of flip dismissal of everything in the world. Mm-hmm. Especially when it came to somebody who was, like, really full of wrath. Bugs Bunny would just sort of, like, lower his eyelids, lay back, wait for you to finish... And then drop an anvil on it. And your then head.
0: destroy you. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Bugs Bunny is a hero of mine mm. for his attitude, for his devil-may-care attitude. Uh, it's rare that you would see Bugs Bunny just be a complete dick for no reason. Mm. He's done it usually to Elmer. His yeah, like, well, but uh, again, this is that's like a predator and prey relationship. You can was, kind of see him. That's
0: weird though, because what happened was, and this is one of the reasons why they had to create Yosemite Sam. And they've talked about this. Mm. Uh, is Elmer was such a pushover, even though he was a hunter, mm. that it very quickly Started lost to look that a little dynamic. Little too mean, yeah, it, it's just like he's 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 absolutely he's a babe in the woods. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's like it's like if a baby was like, "I
1: want to eat the rabbit." Like, what's the baby actually gonna do? And I actually. <laughs> like, doesn't I, have any I, teeth. I think I prefer the early designs of Elmer Fudd, like in mm. Bob Clampett's Wabbit Twubble. Yeah,
0: where he's almost uh, like a shaped like a letter eight.
1: Yeah, like, like it's, it's he's like this, this big pear shaped thing with a big red nose, yeah. and uh, he's just sort of like on vacation, as like a lot more expressive. Yeah. Uh, and and the Wabbit gives him a lot of trouble. Arthur Q. Bryan did the voice of uh, of Elmer Fudd, uh, mm-hmm. he, and not and not Mel Blanc, as a lot of people have sometimes assumed. I assumed yeah. that for a long time that Mel Blanc was also doing Elmer Fudd. That's Arthur Q. Bryan. Uh, yeah, I, I always liked that Bugs Bunny Was able to confront Wrath He mm. got afraid He had an a, you know, emotional range But he was always very confident He had the, a kind of heroic uh, Streetwise attitude uh, That I always found very very appealing Uh, that attitude is something that carried over very strongly, uh, when they kind of started rebooting the characters in the 1990s. I feel like, uh, when you got Buster Bunny, Buster Bunny has that attitude and that's kind of what makes Buster Bunny a strong character. Um, they tried to do it with the Animaniacs to, I think, a lesser degree. I think they weren't quite successful with that, but, um, nobody can ever match Bugs Bunny. Yeah uh Melbank's performance as Bugs Bunny and uh just the attitude of Bugs Bunny. And uh, when Bugs Bunny goes up against a bull, a force of nature by yeah. the way. The bull is kind of like Nasty Canasta, mm. where it's just this big blocky gigantic thing that takes up a lot of the screen and Bugs Bunny is a little bit threatened, but not really threatened. Right. To the point where you know the 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 bull uh you know butts Bugs Bunny. He and he's uh, burrowing, he's looking for uh, a carrot festival in uh, California ends up in a a bullfighting ring Mm. the bull gores bugs bunny and bugs bunny spends the rest of the cartoon getting revenge on the bull right uh pulls the bull's horns off the bull uh sticks his horns through a a board he hammers them down into place until the final climax where he has somehow tricked the bull into slipping off of a ramp flying through the air and flying over a keg of dynamite where uh, it's sort of there's a really hilarious scene where the bull is flying through the air after having slipped off of a ramp, and there is a burning fuse on the ground below it, and the fuse is burning ever slightly faster than the bull. Yeah. And the bull is completely terrified and completely helpless, and the actual timing of the bull flying over the exploding dynamite is one for the ages. It always makes me laugh. Uh, And that's the only reason it's on the list. I think it's just hilarious.
0: Yeah, I'm not... It's interesting because I'm not the biggest Bugs Bunny fan overall. I think there's something Mm. about Bugs Bunny where he's, he's too capable... And I don't always sympathize with them just because it just seems like, well, Bugs Bunny here's everything's going to be fine. Mm. I feel the way about Bugs Bunny a lot of people do about Superman, where it's just like, okay, well, where's the threat here? Bugs Bunny yeah. is literally God in some of these cartoons. Uh, but there are a lot of Bugs Bunny cartoons I really, really like. And uh, like, uh, and I've, I might as well do like three in a row because my last one is my number one. Um, on that note, we're mm. talking about uh, Bugs versus a bully. Mm. Uh, in your case, an actual bull. Uh, I'm going to go with a, fr- a classic Frizz Freeling cartoon called oh. Baseball Bugs.
1: <laughs> That's a fun one. Baseball yeah,
0: Bugs yeah. is uh, one of the cartoons that kind of changed Bugs Bunny. Um, he initially started off with just uh, you know beating up Elmer Fudd, and it was kind mm. of easy pickings. Uh, baseball Bugs finds Bugs Bunny uh, watching a baseball game where a bunch of really not very good at baseball people are being absolutely destroyed uh, by it's like if every single member of the opposing team was the cave troll from the fellowship of the ring. Like they're just these giant muscle bound hulks Mm. who are absolutely destroying them. They got like 92 points ahead going into the ninth inning and it falls to bugs bunny to play every single role. Oh. And so, like, he pitches, and then he runs past the ball to catch, and then the 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 ball hitting his mitt, like, knocks him into the wall, because Bugs Bunny's so powerful, even Bugs Bunny is bullied by Bugs Bunny, <laughs> and uh, it's great, he gets to talk a lot of smack, he has to do all that, like, you know, yeah, that boy, yeah, yeah, like, all that, you know, baseball enthusiasm. Uh, for himself mm. uh, There's a lot of really wonderful Vibrant character Like animation A lot of weird Anthropomorphization Of like uh, mm. the ball And there's all these Really great physics gags Where he throws a, a ball So slow That the opposing team Just keeps They can't, they can't hit it They can't, they can't hit like, it. keep their eye on it Because like, it's moving too slow Yeah it's like It looks like an optical illusion So they're not hitting it at all Um Finally, like, it all boils down to the opposing team hits a home run and Bugs has to take a taxi cab to catch it. Mm. But the taxi cab is, like, being driven by one of the bad guys. And it's just incredibly elaborate, incredibly imaginative. And it's basically just, what if Bugs Bunny plus baseball? (laughs) And they came up with every possible gag. Mm. That's all you need. Come up with the premise, Bugs Bunny does baseball. Come up with every baseball gag you can do. Keep all the good ones. Make them funny. Mm. That's baseball bugs, <laughs> and it is an absolute classic, mm. and I love it to pieces. Uh, how many you got left?
1: Uh, I have uh, just two. Okay, because th- we've already done my number one. I,
0: um, I have four because we haven't done my number one. So let me catch right. up a little. Bit. Okay,
1: yeah, go for it.
0: Um, well, I guess no. I guess three actually because I just mm. did baseball bugs. But yeah. I'll, I'll do two, uh, and then uh, we'll go go from there. Uh, so my next Bugs Bunny cartoon, which I'm a huge huge fan. This is probably my favorite Bugs Bunny solo cartoon. Okay. Uh, is hair raising hair?
1: Oh, this is the one with Gossamer the monster.
0: Gossamer the monster and also Peter Laurie mm. uh, is uh, uh, basically the villain. Uh, this is something I almost brought up earlier When you're talking about caricatures uh, This is a Chuck Jones cartoon from 1946 uh, Peter um, Lorre
1: is in Hollywood Steps Out, by the way Oh,
0: yeah, yeah Peter mm-hmm. Lorre, of course, is a really iconic uh, Hollywood actor If you're mm-hmm. familiar with him uh, He was the guy who gets shot at the beginning of Casablanca And, like, uh, sets the whole plot in motion He was also in the 20,000 Links Under the Sea The original Man Who Wasn't There the, uh, Fritz Lang's M uh, You would know him if you saw him Even if you've never seen one of his movies Because he's been endlessly parodied Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah just had a really iconic look iconic voice I mean, do, do, your Peter, do your Peter Lorre you despise me <laughs> don't you do it. you
1: despise me don't you
0: yeah um, it's perfect b-
1: b- <laughs> haven't seen a bubble like that since I was a child oh uh, yeah <laughs> I get goosebumps every time he does that I love that there's uh uh, the last time I saw Peter Lorre just sort of straight-up caricatured was... It's actually been a while. It, well, it hasn't been since Corpse Bride. Yeah. One, the worm that lives inside uh, Emily's head looks and talks like Peter Lorre. Yeah. I feel like that was like the last hurrah for the Peter Lorre character. I'm sure it's been
0: done since, but that's like the last prominent like one where people actually really went for it. Uh, mm. But in any case, uh, Hair Racing here finds uh, a mad scientist uh, played exactly like Peter Lorre. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is uh, luring Bugs Bunny to his lair through the use of a sexy robot bunny. Uh-huh. And once he's in his really glory... It's really beautifully painted, this mm-hmm. one. Like, lots of great mad scientist imagery in the old classic universal monster vein. Uh, once he Bugs Bunny is trapped inside of his uh, a castle, uh, he sticks his uh, a pet monster on top of it. Uh, the monster doesn't have a name here, but later on it would come to be called they, a call it's it a Gossamer. Bit, it's a big... Giant furry red monster never mind what's under the fur
1: but the implication is that it's probably very scary well they are they actually we learn later on what's under the fur when uh, Porky Pig meets Gossamer the Monster oh that's right he's like I'm gonna give you a haircut and uh pushes him off screen and we just see like balls of fluff flying into the camera yeah and uh Porky Pig steps back hey after all that he was just a pair of sneakers
0: a good game uh but in any case Bugs Bunny is being chased around by this monster and Bugs Bunny is actually scared which is kind of fun Mm. to see Bugs Bunny actually intimidated by someone there's a great bit where the monster sneaks up behind him and he is so like freaked out at the sight of this monster that all he can do is yell yipe and then finally he runs out of voice and he holds up a sign that yells that yells (laughs) yipe for him um and of course Bugs Bunny does what he does and uh, mm. puts all the, puts together all the stops. My favorite bit uh, is when he decides to give the monster a manicure. <laughs> He's gonna, I always say that monsters live such interesting, interesting lives. <laughs>
1: And he is sort of, like, tapping into, a like, kind of a, 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 a quote, sissy caricature. Uh, you know, it's, mm. it's, it's a little bit of a, of a queer stereotype. But it, it is, it's, but he's... I think Bugs Bunny's queerness has been, yeah. uh, has really been openly embraced.
0: I, it's interesting, because uh, this is something when uh, they made uh, Space Jam, the original Space Jam. One of the reasons they included Lola Bunny is because they didn't want to include Bugs Bunny in drag, which he did. A lot mm-hmm. uh, Because they really Wanted to hammer home That our Bugs Bunny Is a strong Heterosexual He's
1: gonna have sex With another rabbit Yeah
0: And uh, then when Joe Dante took over For Looney Tunes Back in action They were just like We're gonna make fun of that Because that's stupid Like <laughs> Bugs Bunny Is clearly well, At least they, a little also, I think he's at least uh, A little gender queer well, And also like, the, he's, he's Lola, very,
1: They made Lola Bunny This like like Sexist babe caricature yeah. It's like Oh god like,
0: re- Remember when the, when the new Space Jam Was coming out And they showed A new picture Of Lola Bunny And they had like De-emphasized her breasts Oh. And like some conservatives were just like, "Hey, we wanted to fuck her." Like,
1: <laughs> oh my god! Remember that was weird. It's like they made her less mm. v- voluptuous. Remember, like remember what when the conservatives you... were really like freaked out about that sort it's of thing? Weird how that shift sexualizing happened. Sexualizing our children, except you know, we, we prefer you it this do, way. But when you desexualize I, our candy I, mascots, I, we don't want to fuck I, candy it's anymore. It's so fucking
0: weird. I never All understood. Right. But in any case, Bugs Bunny. Dressed as a woman. And sometimes he got married. Like it was yeah. like it was just who Bugs Bunny was. I don't think they really thought it out too much, but looking mm-hmm. back now, Bugs Bunny's a little queer. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. probably very queer. I don't I don't know. I haven't you know we haven't talked to him about it. But like <laughs> I I think this is just kind of who Bugs is. Maybe yeah, that's me being the, optimistic. I hope that's the case. I, well, but you they, know
1: The gag was, oh look, Bugs Bunny's in a dress and is seducing this this man, but Bugs Bunny like never made fun of himself i don't yeah. think his drag was ever sort of like an object of mockery yeah uh yeah i think there is a kind of gender fluidity to a cartoon character that you were allowed to get away with at the time uh, it was the case of the closet being so firmly shut that when you did something queer it could read mm. as a gag rather than as gay panic yeah uh, we, we talk a lot about uh the famous scene in the movie wings where the two male characters kiss each other on the mouth because yeah. they're close friends and they kind of yeah. love each other. Yeah. And at that point, nobody knew where the closet was yet. So what yeah. didn't read as queer panic or these two characters were in love with each other other yeah. than very strong male affection. And you know what? Those are two heterosexual men kissing each other on the mouth. And that was okay at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, uh, to to work some sexuality and uh, some sexual politics into Bugs Bunny cartoons, which is there. It's which is there. there. Yeah.
0: It's there. Anyway, uh, you got two left. I have two left, so let's move on. Okay.
1: Um, I'll talk about... Uh, not, I got two here. One's, one's a Porky cartoon and one's a Daffy cartoon. Do the Daffy um, cartoon next. Okay. Uh, the Daffy cartoon is maybe Bob Clampett's masterpiece, and it's The Great Piggy Bank Robbery. Uh, Which one is this? This is the one where uh, Daffy Duck uh, really loves Dick Tracy comics. Oh, yeah. And he's waiting for his Dick Tracy to come in the mail. And he's been waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. And Bob Clampett has this really extraordinary thing where I encourage you to watch The Great Piggy Bank Robbery a frame at a time. Oh, yeah. Because you watch something like The Dover Boys. The Dover Boys, everything's really stiff, right? Yeah. It's all very, you know, going from one pose to the next. Yeah. Uh, When you look at the great piggy bank robbery, you go through frame by frame. The frames don't look like they go together. Mm -hmm. Like, there's no logical movement from one frame to the next. And yet, Bob Clampett is able to work in this weird sort of frenetic jitter all throughout this cartoon. Mm -hmm. And this is the one where he just goes way out into surreality. And I always like uh, my uh, Warner Brothers cartoons when they're kind of surreal.
0: Yeah, this is definitely one of them.
1: And, uh, yeah, uh, upon receiving his Dick Tracy comic, uh, Daffy Duck is hit on the head. And dreams himself to be Dick Tracy, or rather Duck Tracy, and uh, he has to has to chase after an, ex- an exquisite, gorgeous villainess throughout this. Kind of nightmare world of really outlandish villains, mm. and there's a lot of like still images where they're mm. uh, introducing all of these outlandish villains one and, by one,
0: and they're all uh, they're all a, a parody of various mm. famous Dick Tracy villains. If yeah. you've ever seen the Warren Beatty movie where they actually like recreated these really larger than life, bizarre, caricatured villains, but literally, like not like you know, like uh, oh well. You know, prune face is, uh, you know, probably got a lot of wrinkles. Let's we'll get an old wrinkled guy. Yeah. Like, no, no, we will emphasize the wrinkles using heavy makeup. Yeah, um, if, And so there's a lot of those in this where there's like, um, hmm. instead of prune face, there's pickle puss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? Uh,
1: if you're familiar with the work of cartoonist Basil Wolver- Wolverton, who uh, did early work for Mad Magazine in the early days. Yeah. i look up some Basil, Basil Wolverton um. Uh, caricatures Mm. uh yeah basil wolverton liked to sort of exact like exaggerate features to a a very very strange degree like where they have eight nostrils or a speaker growing out of their heads and everything just sort of seemed very very natural Mm. and this is animation you should be able to bend and stretch and play with reality to your imagination's content and something i admire about the great piggy bank Robbery is that not only is it really frenetic not only does it really Take uh, animation to sort of a logical extreme, but it's terrifying as well. <laughs> this is the kind of cartoon yeah, really that'll give you nightmares. Surreal. It's really weird and confrontational in this really bonkers kind of way that yeah. leaves you like a, a little bit of a residue in your brain.
0: Yeah, it's one of the things uh, I like about Hair Raising Hair is that there are yeah. certain shots of it mm. that are just genuinely very frightening, so that mm. when the comedy comes in, they contrast. Yeah, yeah, and that's true for this one as well. And um, this is also one of the cute ones where uh, Daffy Duck again, he's not an antagonist yet. He's just right. a lovable goof, and there's this great bit where he like he runs into like all of these giant, like horrifying monster villains, and just yells, "You're all under arrest!" <laughs> <laughs> it's just him, by the way. Hmm. It's just him with his with his good nature. Yeah, it's I, so fucking funny. I,
1: I love uh, Bob Clampett. I think he's a little underrated just because Chuck Jones gets all the credit. Yeah. Well, uh, so uh, if if you're gonna go for that. if you're gonna go for Bob Clampett's uh, two best cartoons, there's this one. Uh, he also did a really interesting Bugs Bunny cartoon. You were talking about Bugs Bunny feeling fear.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, if you watch Bob Clampett's film Falling Hair, which is him in the World War II plane with the Gremlin. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Uh, the Gremlin is completely in charge. The plane is crashing, and Bugs Bunny is not in control. <laughs> he is completely <laughs> freaking out in that cartoon. <laughs> if you want to see you know, Bugs Bunny like sort of at his at his weakest, to watch Falling Hair. Yeah. Um, but a uh, uh, great piggy bank robbery was actually, but the second to last cartoon that Bob Clampett was going to make for the studio. Evidently, he clashed a lot with a lot of the studio heads. Mm. Uh, he made this one in '46, so it's one of his later cartoons. Uh, but I also think it's his best. Uh, mm. My my personal uh, nice. opinion on that one. Um, all right. Well, the next one
0: uh, I got is also a Daffy Duck cartoon. It's also a Bugs Bunny cartoon, mm. uh, and um, it's part of a trilogy. And I I don't think they're all equal, unfortunately, so I couldn't pick the whole trilogy. Mm. Uh, But I decided to go with Rabbit Seasoning, uh, which is part of uh, three cartoons where Elmer is hunting Bugs and Daffy. And Bugs and Daffy are spending all of their energy trying to convince Elmer to hunt the other one by saying, no, it's duck season. No, it's rabbit season. Uh, The first one, I believe, was Rabbit Fire. Uh which mm. is uh the one that ends very famously with uh this this one's great. This is easily my second favorite. Yeah. Uh where uh Bugs and Daffy are like they all put up so many signs about whether it's duck season or rabbit season, they're getting confused. So Bugs Bunny pulls off a rabbit, a, a rabbit season sign, and so it says duck season. Under at the
1: post turn. It says yeah. Duck
0: Season. And then Daffy Duck pulls one down and it says rabbit season. It says rabbit season, duck season, rabbit season, Duck season! Rabbit season! And then they pull the last one down, and it turns out the actual sign is Elmer season. <laughs> and Elmer's like And, they, oh, both, and shit. they both turn
1: on him immediately. Be
0: very, very quiet. We're hunting Elmer's. Okay. <laughs> very sinister. But uh for me, the best one is Rabbit Seasoning. Because Rabbit Seasoning does something that Looney Tunes cartoons Dealt with a lot of visual humor, don't they? Mm. They're animated shorts. They are uh, actually 100% heightened in order to, um, you know, sell every single joke. A lot of Looney Tunes cartoons you don't really need dialogue. What's up, doc, What's Opera, Doc? Doesn't really need dialogue. Uh-huh. You read know, the Rabbit of Seville don't really need dialogue. I
1: love Rabbit, Rabbit of Seville, by the way. <laughs> great,
0: great cartoon. Mm. Uh, if I didn't really have much of a short list, but that's definitely on it. Uh, Rabbit seasoning. It's mostly wordplay. It's actually dialogue. Like, this is actually, like, mostly just Mel Blanc. Like, absolutely killing it. Um, So, uh, basically, Elmer is hunting Daffy and and Bugs. And uh, Bugs is trying to make sure that Elmer knows that it's rabbit season. He's put up a million signs to show that it's rabbit season with, like, pointing right at Bugs Bunny's rabbit hole.
1: He's wearing rabbit shoes to, you know, leave rabbit tracks. Yeah,
0: and then uh, Elmer shows up, and then uh, Bugs Bunny engages in uh, a war of words that Daffy Duck always loses, where uh, uh, you know, shoot him now, shoot him now, and Bugs Bunny says, "You keep out of this." He doesn't have to shoot you now. Well, I say he does have to shoot me now. Mm. Shoot me now. And then, like his every single time, Elmer shoots Daffy in this cartoon, his beak has been misplaced <laughs> in a way that makes no sense whatsoever. But it's yeah. absolutely brilliant love, every single time.
1: Love the one where it uh, it, it it opens so wide, uh, like his his head fits through his own open beak, and yeah. He has to sort of like pull it forward again.
0: Brilliant, gags. Yeah. Uh Every single bit of line delivery in this. There's a moment in this where Bugs puts on uh, you know Bugs puts on drag to seduce Elmer, and yeah. he does a very good job of
1: it. Elmer gets an erection. (laughs) Basically, well, it's his hat. Yeah, that's the gag. That's the gag.
0: Uh, There's a bit where Daffy Duck sees Elmer fall for this bit, Mm. and he turns to the camera, and instead of saying something you know witty or angry or just like, can you believe this crap, or like holding up a sign that says screwball or something like that. He just licks his lips and makes a smacking noise. This is, mm. ah. that's all that needs like, to be like said. Patience. The absolute confidence in your animation, that that's the only joke you need.
1: It's a little bit of that, that act, physical acting. Yeah.
0: It's a brilliant vaudeville routine. This entire bit is just absolutely impeccable. There's, it, there weren't a lot of things like it. Mm-hmm. Um, the animation is perfect. It's all just character animation and dialogue. Uh, and it makes me laugh every single time. Uh, the the last one, Duck Rabbit Duck, is fine. I think it's the least of the three by far. Uh, but um, yeah, that's why I don't have the whole trilogy because hmm. I think just the first two, sure. The Third one, nah, not so much. But uh, anyway, Rabbit Seasoning. That's uh, if right. I have a number two, <laughs> that's my number two. All right. Uh, what? What? You have uh, one left, and I have I've, my number I've, one. I have I'm one wondering left. if it's the same um, one.
1: This is one that was actually remade. Uh, it, about a decade after it was initially made. Uh, The original was from the 1930s, and the remake was from the 1940s. Uh, It's uh, Porky and Wacky Land. Oh, that's actually
0: not what what I was thinking of. Actually,
1: the the original was made in 1938 in black and white. It's another Bob Clampett cartoon. Yeah. And,
0: uh... It's where they they have the dodo.
1: Yeah, Porky Pig uh, was Warner Brothers' first big star. Mm. Uh, Porky Pig... Was in, like, every other cartoon that they made in the 1930s. Which he was is just weird, everywhere. Which
0: is weird, because initially he was a sidekick. The One of the first well, recurring Warner Brothers cartoons hmm. was a character named Beans. Mm-hmm. And Porky was written as a sidekick character for Beans, one of many.
1: Pork and Beans, get it? Yeah. yeah.
0: Beans quickly fell out of favor, but Porky stuck around. Mm-hmm. Which, he just, just doesn't happen very often. Like, imagine if somewhere around, like, 1948... DC Comics said eh, Robin's where it's at We don't need Batman anymore And then Robin mm-hmm. became The big deal yeah. Like it's really weird well, But you, you, you can know. kind
1: of Kind of see I guess uh, the Joker Is sort of always Going to be around In Batman world But uh, yeah. Harley Quinn Looks yeah. like to be Sort of surpassing The Joker in popularity For a little while they're, Yeah maybe
0: yeah, More or less uh, But in any case Yeah Beans is almost Completely forgotten You can still mm. watch His cartoons But they're they're, they're not that yeah. great uh, and, <laughs> It's Porky where it's at
1: And Porky You know Some would argue That Porky works best As a sidekick Or when he is mm. sort of Like paired with Another character the, the, the Porky Daffy cartoons are great, because Porky's a little bit more of the straight man. Porky's a little bit more mannered. He's not the uh, manic yeah, character. He, he's, he's mild,
0: whereas yeah, uh, Daffy is trying very, very hard. Porky is very easygoing, and he usually succeeds, hmm. either because he lets Daffy wear himself out and then does all the real work, or because he's oblivious to whatever Daffy is doing, and Daffy was just trying too hard and didn't need to do a damn
1: thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, but Porky had his own cartoons for the longest time. Uh, in the early days, uh, the design was a lot different. He wore sort of wear this like turtleneck sweater, sort of like this mm. this like bruiser kind of butcher shop. Yeah, guy. He, he looked more like uh, a pig. Like yeah. his
0: dimensions were more like a pig mm. initially.
1: And and then uh, as as the years passed, the design changed. He got sort of like a bigger head and a smaller face. Yeah. Uh, this was sort of in the 30s where he's a little bit on the cusp. So he does still have like the big head, but he still has, like a little bit more. Pig like uh, dimensions, and he reads in uh, a newspaper that there's a, a very rare dodo bird that's worth like eleven scatillion dollars. Yeah, uh, and so he decides to go to uh, goes to go to Africa where it lives, and the, the gag is darkest Africa, which was a phrase that they used in a lot of old racist Tarzan shows I and mean, serials yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Porky ends up going to Wacky Land, which is where, a lot the, more, dodo were, which where has, the Dodo lives. Which has
0: a lot more in common with like Wonderland than anything yeah. in reality. It's just this absolutely bizarre place where anything can happen.
1: It's yeah, it's like this yeah. dream Wonderland where uh, every physical gag is part of the landscape. It's almost like a dolly painting, and how how bizarre it is. Uh, this was uh, remade, and I just looked it up with 1948 as a, a film called Dough for the Dodo, which uh, it's just reanimated. Mm -hmm. They just reanimated it in color. All the gags are the same. All of the visuals are the same. Uh, Frizz Freeling technically directed that uh, remake, but it's all still Bob Clampett's gags Mm -hmm. and Bob Clampett's timing and the same audio even, I think. A lot of uh, clips for this were ended up in other shorts as well because it has a lot of little tiny funny gags. It's a bit where uh, a band walks by. It's the rubber band. It's that big. Little teeny tiny rubber band. And they're all made of rubber and they make little rubber noises. Get it? The rubber noises, by the way, vocalized by Mel Blanc. Of course. So that's it. Like, I love Mel Blanc's voice. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the Dodo, uh, in his own element, in this wacky world, is completely hoodwinking Porky at any every given opportunity. Mm the imagination that goes into the surrealist landscapes are, is second to none. It's almost like Miyazaki levels of <laughs> imagination, of bizarreness going into this, uh, you know, windows appear and you jump through the window and then you disappear into this pocket in reality. Three creatures are arguing behind a bush and they emerge and it turns out it's three heads on the same creature.
0: Uh, I think they'll, I think they're the heads of the three stooges of memory. Uh, the, yeah. yeah.
1: They're sort of like, uh,
0: yeah.
1: caricatures of the three stooges. Yeah. Uh, Wacky Land would be used to great effect in again. guy to they were it was resurrected in the nineteen nineties. Wacky Land was part of Acme Acres and Tiny Tunes. They would yeah. go to very surrealist dimensions and animaniacs a yeah. lot uh, as well.
0: My favorite character in Tiny Tunes is always Gogo Dodo.
1: Mm. Uh, which which is derived from the Dodo from this well, cartoon. Uh,
0: canonically he's the he's uh Dodo he's the Dodo Bird's father. Or Dodo Bird is Gogo's father. Oh, okay. That's actually like a that's actually canonical. Apparently, uh, uh, but the, the
1: dodo bird, like the adult version we see in this, yeah. was never uh, introduced in like the Tiny Toons lore. So as far yeah. as we're concerned, it's the same character. Yep. Go Go is the same. Dodo bird is in this one, according
0: to Paul Dini. Dodo yeah. is the is the father of Gogo Dodo, and I okay. trust Paul Dini to know because he wrote Tiny Toons. But in any case, well, uh, I'm I, just saying. I, I just yeah. it's not important. Let's not belabor the. But ball. like like I like it, I said trivia. about
1: like I said about the Great Piggy Bank Robbery. I think yeah. uh, animation because it's so elastic and because it's so pliable, it is just drawings on paper. You can do yeah. whatever you like with it. And I feel yeah. like this is one of the cartoons that really dug deep and tried to show you things that you couldn't do in any other medium. Yeah, uh, and having Porky Pig running around with this Porky Pig who comparatively is the more static character he doesn't yeah, have the a same relatively kind of squash he's the straight man off of yeah, yeah 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 and yeah. here he is in like this salvador dolly nightmare landscape trying to find this creature that's tormenting him
0: you know what i honestly i thank you for putting this on here because right. i actually forgot about this cartoon oh wow okay and i think if i had remembered it and had a an opportunity to rewatch it, it probably would have made my list but i haven't rewatched it so i cannot say i haven't seen this since i was a kid I remember being kind of freaked out by it, though. It's it's a little freaky. Yeah, and apparently this was considered kind of a game changer for Warner Brothers. This is some kind of like a mission statement. We are not Disney. Yeah. yeah. We're doing our own
1: weird shit. The, uh, the, the metaphor I've heard used by several critics is that uh, D- Disney was classical music. Yeah. They were really carefully composed, really impeccably made, and... Uh, Put forth in a very sort of stead professional way. Yeah, you know, you're you're Mickey Mouse. Like we're we're gonna make sure everything just looks really really good. Everything's really slick and clean and polished. Uh Whereas the Warner Brothers were compared to jazz. Yeah, we're just gonna riff and we're gonna do the things. We're gonna follow our hearts. It doesn't matter if it's not logical because animation isn't. We can do whatever we want with our imaginations and we'll just riff on reality itself. Yeah. I
0: prefer the latter. Listen, Disney made some great cartoons. Mm. uh, Some better than others, just like with Looney Tunes. Not every Looney Tune is great, but uh, generally speaking, there's a reason we're doing a Looney Tunes one and not a Disney one right now. Mm. Uh, So we already mentioned that your number one was the Dover Boys. Yeah. And Mm. I love the Dover Boys. I'm sorry I brought it up earlier. I know some people are annoyed by that. Uh, I'm a little surprised Mm. that my number one didn't make your list. Because for me, if you remove... Uh, Duckamuck in particular From The uh-huh. Equation This is my favorite mm. Maybe it's not the best Maybe it's not the funniest But this is the one That I saw this one When I was young And It blew my mind <laughs> I saw this when I was really young uh-huh. uh, This is a 1941 from Friz Freeling Also starring Porky mm. Called You Ought to Be In Pictures uh,
1: That's It's on my runners-up that's, that's, that's the one where Leon Schlesinger Appears in live action Okay, yeah,
0: yeah This was This was one of the things that influenced the creation of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm. The idea is this. We're in Termite Terrace. Live action footage.
1: It it introduced the notion that the Warner Brothers stars were contract players for the studio.
0: Animaniacs exists because this cartoon exists. Mm. The idea that these characters work for Warner Brothers and are contract stars is from this. Uh... Basically, all of the animators go to lunch, and there's this really hilarious, like, silent movie-type gag where uh, one guy walks out and says, LUNCH! And then there's this gag where, like, 100 people run out of it the building. Like, all in it's motion, like, fast motion. Yeah, live action.
1: And, as though
0: even the animators themselves, the live-action animators, are themselves cartoons. They're that wacky. Uh, and uh, then we cut inside where someone had been in the process of drawing Porky. Uh, Porky is just sitting there on the page, and then Daffy... Who is hung up on a wall. It's
1: a portrait of Daffy. Uh, yeah.
0: Fr- in a frame on the wall. Daffy, like, leans over and says, Psst, Porky! Hey, Porky! I gotta tell you, man, I think your talents are wasted here. Yeah, there's a ba- I can get you better gigs. You should do features. And Porky's like, No, I'm, I'm very happy with where I am. And Daffy Duck finally convinces him uh, to go to Leon Schlesinger, playing himself.
1: He's the producer of all of these cartoons. Yeah. His name is on all of them.
0: Uh... And says I would like to try my hand in pictures, and Leon's like, "Are you sure, Porky?" And this is all animation interacting with live action, some more elaborately than others, but in a really unusual. Like this is not this is not a thing that happened. Hmm. Even uh, uh, and this this wouldn't happen until later. Like um, there's uh, when when Gene Kelly danced with uh, Tom the Mouse. That was beautifully animated and stuff. Wow. They weren't like having meaningful conversations together. It was like this little aside. So, Lance Lessinger agrees to uh, to tear up Porky's contract. Porky drives over to, like, the live-action studio. Uh-huh. They won't let him in. <laughs> he's, he's not famous enough. Uh-huh. Uh, and he ends up breaking onto the lot, and he ends up breaking everything, and there's this whole car chase, and they chase him around, and he realizes that he made a huge mistake, and he comes back only to find that, in his absence, Daffy has been saying that like a Porky never never Porky never had your best interests at heart. I'm the star you need. I'll take Porky's place in all of his pictures. And Porky
1: beats the shit out of Daffy.
0: <laughs> Leon Slessinger said I never actually tore up your contract because I knew it's, you'd be back. Yeah, it's,
1: here, here it is. Come on back.
0: Yeah. And then it ends with Porky back back where he's supposed to be, back on the page, and Daffy Duck back where he's supposed to be, back on the wall. But except injured, now he's in yeah. traction. <laughs> It's all done in black and white, but it's actually, like, a really ambitious cartoon. Mm. This is not what they did. They didn't do live action, but they did live action with animation. And they created this whole new meta
1: canon for their characters in the process That's affected uh, not just Warner Brothers All animation ever since Pretty much Uh, Roger Rabbit wouldn't exist without this Uh, Looney Tunes Back in Action wouldn't exist without this Yeah This idea that the characters are something bigger Than the cartoons they're in Yeah
0: This is not It's not only influential I think it's just absolutely It's impressively put together I mean you look at it now And you're like Okay well I see how they did that But like At the Mm -hmm. time this was really novel
1: Yeah, Yeah Nothing
0: like it and it's very, very funny, it's something only the Looney Tunes were doing, and it's weird to me that, like, I'm not that big a Porky fan. Okay. I, I like Porky fine, I'm much more of a, I told you, I'm a Daffy guy. Yeah. And yet, leaving out Duckamuck, granted it's a Daffy cartoon, I think the best Warner Brothers cartoon ever is a Porky cartoon, which admittedly has Daffy in it, so I guess I'm, not, right. I guess I'm on safe ground, but it's really a Porky cartoon. Um, so anyway, that's my list. Oh, real, real fast. hmm uh, we're going to run down uh, both of our lists for those uh, who would like uh, a quick uh, reminder. Uh, Whitney's list, uh, in more or less order.
1: In order of how I
0: spoke Yeah, them, I think but... I wrote it down in the correct order. Uh, is Mouse Wreckers, uh, Feed the Kitty, Hollywood Steps Out, Book Review, R-E-V-U-E, uh, Drip Along Daffy, Robin Hood Daffy, Bully for Bugs, The Great Piggy Bank Robbery, Porky in Wacky Land, and The Dover Boys.
1: Hmm.
0: And uh, my list, in order uh, Was uh, Feed the Kitty And also Cat Feud Which are kind of two sides of the same coin uh, It's Hummer Time I Love to Singa Dover Boys Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century Drafty Daffy Baseball Bugs Hair Raising Hair Rabbit Seasoning And You ought to Be in Pictures It is really unexpected to me that we only have one crossover
1: yeah, yeah. I, I really I, thought we'd have... Well, a, I really I thought think, you would have uh, put,
0: like, rabbit seasoning on there, at least. or Yeah, weird.
1: I, just, I guess I'm drawn to different kind of stuff. What I guess I say? so. Um, yeah. I think it was wise of us, however, to uh, sort of... Removed Dis- the Disqualify more obvious The obvious those They're, they're not disqualified
0: three. They're honorarily Like our number one yeah. But so, like
1: uh, yeah th- That's not to say That you know Those are bad cartoons For any no. They're very very good And if yeah. you haven't seen them Please stop You, and you get must them. Most of these cartoons Are currently on HBO Max uh, mm-hmm. The ones that aren't Are still ready, readily available On like DVDs If you want to yeah.
0: Shell out Might film. be able to find them On daily DVDs on like uh, The secondary market Might be able to find them On Daily Dailymotion Or YouTube yeah, Etc right, Some or of them are available are sort
1: of, in Clips Yeah Uh as far as I'm concerned, this is where comedy was born. I understand that uh, you know these cartoons, of course, were taking a lot of comic uh, cues from the comedies that came before. A lot of yeah. you know, Marx Brothers and Slapstick. Lot a lot of you know, la- Laurel and Hart, a lot of Vaudeville stuff. Uh, and the... The thing about the cartoons, though, is that they could actually afford to play big. Uh, when it comes to pratfalls, there's only so much a human body can do. Yeah. When it comes to pratfalls in a cartoons, you can literally shove dynamite down someone's pants. Uh, yeah. And and they do, repeatedly. And I wouldn't know what an anvil is <laughs> without watching uh, these sorts of cartoons. I, I'm not a blacksmith.
0: A, it took me a embarrassingly long time to find out what an anvil is actually for. I thought it was literally something you use to drop on people's heads. I, yeah, thought that's, the, uh, I thought that's what anvils were
1: for. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I think somebody asked Chuck Jones or one of the animators, like, yeah. "Why an anvil? That's an yeah. odd object it, 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 to it, fall on you." Yeah,
0: like seriously, like like a piano because they used to like carry pianos like hmm. up to like the top floors of buildings like on a, crane. On a pulley, That know? that kind of makes sense, or a brick
1: might make sense. Why, why an, anvil? an anvil? When would that happen? <laughs> And uh, and they just said they wanted something that's, like, large and heavy, and it's like, okay, well, an anvil, like this big slab of iron that you're smelting iron on, why not? Why not an anvil?
0: I just kind of wish I knew the thought process. Was, like, hmm. someone, like, thinking of anvils? Was hmm. someone just like, yeah, I had to have a sword made the other day, and I was looking at this anvil, and I was like, hmm. that's it!
1: That's the connection! And, and because the, the these films are so short, they're only about seven minutes apiece... Uh, they had to sort of get things moving really quick. So there's a lot of humor and there's a lot of slapstick and there's a lot of references and things uh, to a lot of popular music and a lot of classical music and a lot of classical art and a lot of literature where all of popular culture is finally kind of blending together in this very exciting sort of way. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, yeah, just overall, it's a, a wonderful sort of filmic journey to go through. It's not just... I liked these because yeah. they're funny cartoons, and those are mm. good for kids. These were made for adults. Yeah. These were made for theatrical release, and uh, they were meant to be a little bit more sophisticated than I mm. think their uh, kiddie audience that they eventually accrued
0: mm, uh, them would belie. Them. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, again, Looney Tunes, of course, were a product of their time, and as we mentioned, sometimes they don't age well. Yeah. Uh, the ones we picked mostly do... Mm. Uh, but uh, if you go on a deep dive you're probably going to find some things where it's just like, ow, <laughs> yeah. ow.
1: Yeah, some of it's pretty gross. Yeah, yeah. These some, were made yeah. in the forties. We, we mentioned yeah. there's a lot of racist attitudes they're, they're, in some of these. There
0: really are. Uh, uh, so then they, which is very unfortunate. So mm-hmm. just a combat M tour, if you decide to do a lot of digging on your own, I hope you do, you yeah. might find some stuff that's unpleasant. Mm-hmm. And um, nobody's proud of that.
1: No, nobody is. Uh,
0: nobody's like, those are the good ones. those are the bad ones. A lot ones, of the war- a that. lot of
1: the wartime cartoons that are specifically, you know, propaganda mm-hmm. yeah. don't don't play as well as they do together, you know, propaganda. Yeah. Um Yeah, some of the uh, racist Japanese cartoons are not fun to watch. No. Uh, uh, If you can track them down, and I don't think they ever put these ones on DVD, but uh, Warner Brothers actually put out an entire series of cartoons specifically for soldiers in the field. Yeah. Um, American soldiers uh, just to watch on their time off. And they would send mm. reels uh, starring this character called Private Snafu. Mm. Uh, and they would be sort of like cautionary tales about you know letting secrets drop to the enemies. And yeah. they because they were for soldiers, <clears throat> they were a little bit more on the edge. Yeah, there's a lot more I mean, sexuality. There's a lot and, uh, more sexuality, yeah. and there was even a little bit of cussing. Uh, there's a famous clip out there of... Uh, uh, Porky Pig using the phrase "son of a bitch." Mm. <laughs> he says, uh, "son of a bitch," son of a son of a uh, son of gun. <laughs> You thought I was going to say son of a bitch, didn't you? Like actually says it out <laughs> wow. loud.
0: I don't think we've seen
1: that actually. And that, that's back. that's a real short. That's actually No Blank saying it. That was actually produced by Warner Brothers. Wow. And it was, but it was not intended for a, yeah. a wide audience. It no, was it was intended an, for the soldiers. Yeah, that's so an they, interesting chapter. In the, they they could afford to be a little bit more blue in that because they knew uh, they had a captive audience.
0: Nice. All right, so that is it for Iron List this week. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, we'll be back next time with whatever our patrons decide, and we're going to do another one. This is coming out the first week of April. Oh. Uh, and uh, we have another one coming in April. However, because it's April, April is a time for much foolishness, <laughs> uh, we're doing something a little different for the Iron List this month. Uh, we have five options, as we often do, uh, one of which is a ringer. We always put it in there. It's the next in our line of the best movies that start with a certain letter. Hmm. We've already done A through D, the best movies that begin with the letter A, the best movies that begin with the letter B, et cetera. Next in line is the best movies that begin with the letter E, and if you vote for it, we will happily do it. We'd love to get to the whole alphabet eventually, but it's up to our patrons to decide they want to vote for it at any given time. So we might do the best movies that begin with the letter E. None of the other options are movie related. Uh, <laughs> this time, it's, it's time for a little Tomfoolery. We're, we're gonna we're gonna do some silly, but mm-hmm. it's all stuff we really like. Um, so uh, your options this time are uh, our top ten favorite candies. We'll talk about candy for a while. I like candy. I like candy, too. Uh, next up, uh, our top ten favorite Los Angeles restaurants. Now, <laughs> obviously not everyone is from Los Angeles. We'll talk about the culture here and everything. We'll, we'll, we'll try to make the, it fun for you. The restaurants
1: If yeah. you're not
0: from L.A., we'll try to make it a fun podcast. But hopefully it will least be suggestions for if you ever show up here. Uh, on the uh, slightly less food-oriented front, uh, we have the top, our top 10 favorite board games and our top 10 favorite classic video games. Now, to be clear, uh, I haven't been an avid gamer, like avid gamer, for over 10 years. I used to be quite the gamer, and then when I settled in to become a film critic full-time, I fell out. I couldn't tell you what the best video games the last 10 years are. I've maybe played half a dozen. Whitney is an old school gamer Who I think basically fell out of gaming When the Nintendo 64 came out
1: uh yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah. Well, I I played games voraciously throughout my childhood. I uh, yeah. was starting at around age eight or so, and I was just obsessed with Nintendo. That was my my the platform of my choice. And yeah. I had the the Nintendo and I had the Super Nintendo and the Game Boy, mm-hmm. and then I went, went away to college and I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. There just wasn't time. I didn't have a TV. I didn't want to bring my video games with me because I went out of state. Yeah. And uh, it was that was sort of the end for me. I never really right. went back. I I had a Wii. I have a Switch now, but I don't spend nearly. The same amount of time as I did once Well imagine not so, uh, You a lot so going so on I, right? I, and, yeah. I, and I just stopped paying attention to the medium after a
0: while Right So we will be talking about uh, the games that we mostly enjoyed when we were younger hmm. Maybe we discovered them later But uh, you know these are more retro games uh, That we enjoyed in hmm. our youth And no Whitney Pinball doesn't count
1: Should It's not a video Doesn't have to be Yes it does It's, it's called a, a video it's a, game It's in a video arcade I can play pinball or a video arcade yeah, So is
0: skee-ball It's not a video
1: game mm, I love skee-ball too Do you so all it's, like skee-ball? They, they
0: have basketball nets That's so not a video game There's no video <laughs> There's
1: no video It's simple There's only two words You have to get one job William's referring to a podcast we did many years ago <laughs> many that he hasn't been able ago. to let
0: go <laughs> Where we were talking about our favorite video games and well, when he well, picked pinball well,
1: It was like what What are the best video games of the 1990s Like yeah. that, was, that was sort of like the, the limit yeah,
0: Which know. is similar to what the vibe we'd be going for here but but, uh, we'd be able to go back in time further if we wanted yeah
1: yeah. Uh, but uh, I I lost like my number 10 spot to to give credit to the big boom in pinball machines because there was a lot of innovation and interesting expansion in pinball at the time
0: there is no and and, uh, and I want to say I have no disrespect for pinball machines pinball machines are great
1: I, 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 don't like the video I, I happen to love pinball. There's a pinball museum in Las Vegas. Yeah. Hard to miss. They have like a, a 40 foot tall sign while you're going down the main strip. <laughs> uh, yeah. Go to the pinball museum in Las Vegas. They have like pinballs, pinball machines going all the way back to the sixties. They're all, a lot of them are still operational. They're great. They're great. It's just a, mm. a fun day at the arcade. Uh, so I, I mentioned that, and William and our other co-host uh, at the time, they just rolled their eyes and said, "That doesn't count because they're sticks in the mud." Well, it doesn't count because they're not fun, I guess. That's like
0: saying, "Hey, what's your favorite? What's your favorite movie?" Uh, *Guernica*. It's not, it Doesn't
1: move. It's just a picture it doesn't count
0: anyway we'll talk about that if you All vote right. for it we'll have that conversation again anyway so uh, those are your options if you want to vote you but head I like, on over to our
1: I, I do like Guernica I, I also <laughs> like Guernica it's not a movie okay? <laughs> anyway
0: my point is this head on over to patreon.com critically acclaimed network if you subscribe at any tier you get to vote for future episodes of the Iron List you also get a lot of exclusive shows uh, we have uh, our show Holy Batman which is taking a very brief sabbatical so that we can prepare our next uh, episode on cancel too soon because there's a spin off of the nineteen 60s Batman that was a short-lived animated series. We're going to cover that, and then we're going to get back to the very weird post-history of the 1960s Batman, mm. where the Batman and uh, uh, Adam West and Burt Ward kept showing up as Batman and Robin and other things, and we're going to mm. do that. Um, we have a show called Only the Best. We review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. A new episode of that should be coming sometime this week. Uh, we've got uh, All Our Yesterdays. We review every single film ever nominated... No. Where we review every single episode of Star Trek. Star Trek. It's a long, been it's, a long it's day. A, yeah. It's been a long day. We're almost done here. Just, just wrap up. We're, we're wrapping up here. And there's more besides. Thank you to every single one of our patrons. Without you, not only would the Iron List not exist, but none of our shows would exist. We couldn't do this without you, and are very grateful for that. If you want to talk about anything we discussed on this show, you want to share your favorite Looney Tunes cartoons, um, we'd love to hear from you. Our, our email address is letters at net. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of our show, We've Got Mail, right here on the channel. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, We also have a snail mail account if you would prefer to send us your snails.
1: Uh, No, letters. Letters. Hmm. You can draw Bugs Bunny on it if you want. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Uh, send it to P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Always love
0: to hear from you in any medium. Thank you very much to everyone who writes in. Uh, we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And, uh... oh, and we have a soap store. Head on over to Salt Cat Soap mm. on social media, Twitter, Instagram, at Salt Cat Soap. Me and my partner, M. Lapis Da Silva, we uh, design... And uh, make and sell soap. And a whole bunch of different interesting designs. We just released a couple of new really exciting ones for spring. They smell of lilacs. One of them smells of fresh grass. I love that one. Mm -hmm. It's so damn good. It's gorgeous too. Um, So head on over to Salt Cat Soap on Etsy. You can find the link on our social media pages. uh, If you want to uh, check out our soaps. Because hey, who doesn't need soap? Mother's Day is coming. That's right. Makes for a fun gift. Fancy soaps. There you go. Just a thought. You're going to have to do it. Maybe you should. Mm. Nah, that's why right. It's up to you. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. And that it's is the folks. list. Oh, that's yeah. all. You say that's all, folks. I'm sorry. That's all, folks.